Robots in Disguise. Hello and welcome to JudgeCast. This is episode 313. And I just blanked because I started thinking about the numbers. Hold on. Did did you like... That's unlucky. Hello and welcome to JudgeCast. This is episode 313. I'm one of your hosts, Brian Prilliman, and I am joined this evening, afternoon, morning, drive to work by the one and only Charles Feather. Hello, hello. And the one and only Marco Sanchez. What up? What up? This is our release notes episode for Murders at Markov Manor. Yeah, this is going to be a thing the whole show, isn't it? <laughs> I just, I'm just going to have to get used to yes, it. Yes, right? it is. If if wizards can't even get this correct when they're talking on stream, then no one stands a chance. Murders at Craven the Hunter Manor. I just beat him like a week ago, so yeah. <laughs> he's he's in the Spider-Man 2 movie, Fine. spoilers. It's... Or, or uh, hey. uh, PlayStation game. Video game, yeah. yeah. Murders at Carl Rove Manor. <laughs> Oh, God. <laughs> right. I mean, sure. <laughs> two, two, okay. <laughs> Let's move right on. Yeah. Okay, fine. We're moving on. It's it's two crows at Markov Manor. Um, so, <laughs> what is this only mostly dead characters from a well-known movie manor? Princess, <laughs> Princess, Princess Bride. Only mostly dead so Only Wesley? mostly dead Sleep characters. Dead. Oh, mostly God. dead. Yes. All right. <laughs> mostly dead is partially alive. All right. Uh, I had murders at at Kasparov Manor. Yeah, yeah, um. Yeah. <laughs> let's see here. Uh, right. We're talking about pre-release cards. We are not talking about cheating in a tournament or shuffle cheats or. One Piece Nationals, or CEDH on camera, whatever's no, 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 no. just 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 straight up release notes. And the reason we talk about release notes is because uh, players are going to be exposed to a whole bunch of new cards shortly, and we're here to help. We want to make sure that you understand what's going on with the new cards and all the new mechanics and interactions that are possible. So we're going to break it down and talk about the mechanics first, uh, the returning mechanics, and then we'll talk about the different cards that are in the set. You say help. I think we are. We're just, we are we're just playing we radio while not, while not making things worse. <laughs> this is true. <laughs> All right. I mean, near enough as makes no difference. Okay, who put this note in the show notes about it? <laughs> oh, he signed it. Oh, Charles, do you want to ask your question? So this set has a lot of cards with characters wearing fedoras in the art. Um, so we need to do a status check right now. Which of us owns a fedora? And wait, before you say that you do or you don't, I think we should each make guesses about the other host's closet. So I okay. think Marcus owns a fedora, but I don't think Brian does. Marcus? Interesting. Um, I can say I do not oh, own a fedora. Oh, oh, oh. Hold on, you're supposed to do the guessing first. Damn it! Oh, you're the guessing ter- first. Damn, you're terrible at this game. Edit, edit, edit. No, click, no, no, click, no, no, no. This is this is this is this no, is how this is clue live. would work. We're we're doing it. We're doing it live. You you've you already. S- 
Yeah, you straight up be Colonel Mustard in the <laughs> auto mechanic shop with the fire hydrant. And we're like, those aren't even in the game, Marcos. <laughs> so I think, I think Brian owns a fedora, but ironically, like possibly <laughs> Halloween costume, possibly just okay. to All right. annoy somebody with it. All right. Um, and I think Charles does own one, but he wears it very classy, like unironically and pulls it off. I would also say that I believe that that Charles owns a fedora and Marcos kind of like already gave his answer. So it's not really fair if I guess. All right. <laughs> okay. But would you have guessed that I did beforehand? Yes or no? Uh, I would have probably said no. Okay. So the great reveal is, is I do not own one. Okay. Okay. Marcus does not own one. Nope. And, and Brian? Does not own one, although I have tried one on at Target and decided I looked like a douche. <laughs> if that's not your first reaction to putting a fedora on your head, right. then I, I, I don't know. This... I think some people rock. I think some people rock the look. I mean, hang on. Whole... Oh, I think they do too, but I think their first reaction is, "Oh, really douchey." There is a picture from from a GP Vegas of me wearing a pink fedora. I did not own it though. But it was pink and sparkly, and I had it for like five, three, minutes. three seconds. <laughs> no, as I mean, I wore it ironically because obviously everything I do is ironic. I'm even doing this episode <laughs> ironically. All right, so all right, so, so we've 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 established who who does not own fedoras, which is good. Um, we also have a a couple of things we want to talk about before we get into the meat of the mechanics. Um, there's a graphic from the WPN, uh, that's the Wizards Play Network, and uh, it outlines what is supposed to happen at a pre-release in terms of the product that's being released. Um, everybody's getting play boosters. What's a play booster? Oh. It's a new. It's it's that new product that's a cross between a set booster and a draft booster um, that is replacing both. So everybody in their pre-release kit is going to get six play boosters. They're going to get a traditional um, foil year-stamped rare mythic murders at Karloff Manor promo card. And they're going to get um, one of the spin down, one of the deck boxes, and they're also going to get one of three new traditional foil mythic rare cards exclusive to pre-release packs that cannot be played. So they're still putting the promo in the pre-release pack, and you cannot play it. Yeah. Uh, also, we'll say, because these are play boosters, uh, your pre-releases will probably be more expensive. Because, remember, the whole purpose of play boosters is to, uh, A, sell more draft boosters, and B, just raise the price in general and make more money. You know. Yeah. As you do. So. Which is cool. So, so there's that, and then um, there's a uh, a second graphic that we're going to link in our show notes, or we'll, we'll link the Twitter users who created it, uh, the Epic Potato ninety nine, um, and it's one of those handy dandy little graphics that somebody puts together, and it's really great to have uh, sitting on the countertop in your LGS. Uh, things that uh, might go wrong this pre release re- weekend is what it's entitled, and it's got uh, information about these promos that you can't play, along with. Uh, the differences between cases and sagas, which we'll get into briefly, and something about the disguise mechanic, which yeah. we'll also be talking about briefly. 
Which this this set. Let's be fair. We we've done some episodes on like head judge announcements and stuff like that. I think for this set, your head judge announcements need to be: Hey, there's three cards. You can't play them. And then the second announcement is like explaining Mega Morph or Super Morph or D Morph or whatever. You know, like yeah, like that that right there. Very 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 quick. As to as to what what it means, and then you got to keep this stuff down because it's been ten years since people have had to worry about morph outside of disguise. a premium set. Outside of a premium set, sure, right, yeah. So that that's probably that's probably it. Don't go into you know we're going to be going into a lot of this stuff, but these players just want to get playing, so try and abbreviate your announcements as much as possible. Yeah, that's actually why I really like this second graphic that we're going to link to, uh, because it has a QR code with a link to the full article on mechanics. So if you need to go deep on these, which, spoiler, you will need to at some point, it's really handy for everybody to just pull out their phone and look at the mechanics without having to do a bunch of searching. Yeah. But speaking of looking at mechanics, <clears throat> wouldn't you rather listen to the dulcet tones of Marco Sanchez explain some of the new mechanics. Yes, so let's go ahead and talk about, well, let's talk about face-down cards in general first, because both the new mechanics of Disguise and Cloak uh, are all basically face-down card mechanics, which face-down is a status of a permanent. And I'm somebody who really cares about language and calling things as they should be, and so I'm going to make this point to uh, do my PSA. The more you know, face down is the status of a permanent. And a, a card can be either face down or face up, similar to a card being either tapped or untapped. Now, what I mentioned this for is because you will hear many people this weekend say, oh, I'm going to flip my morph. And that's technically incorrect. Flipped and unflipped actually goes back to a, what is it, Champions of Kamigawa block yep. mechanic where you had an enchantment that had Creature. two sides. You could look at it upside down or right side up, and it was a different card depending on a, whether it was flipped or unflipped. So that yeah. has rules meaning. Always drives me nuts when somebody says, oh, I'm going to flip up my morph, or I'm going to flip over my double face card. It's like, no, I'm going to transform my double face card. Think, I'm well, gonna... you can't say, you can't say <laughs> transform. Uh <laughs> Yeah, I think you just need to get over that. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's it it's going to be a pet peeve. It'll be the hill I die on warily and never actually winning. But for all of us who care about the minutia of things, that is a status. Uh, the other status I didn't mention is also uh, Judge Cast's favorite status, phased in or phased out. A card can exist in any combination of these states. Uh, you can have a face down tapped phased out card and that is a thing it can be but it's still the same card yeah you can even have a face down flipped card you can thank you ixadron yeah uh, all right so uh now when we talk about a card being face down this is a, a definition that wizards set because of some cards that were all the way back in alpha that just said like put a card face down and they were like okay well what does that all mean basil uh, in this instance, a card that is face down has no mana cost, 
a mana value of zero. And when casting a face down card, actually, sorry, is it a mana cost of zero or is it a mana cost of null? Oh, sorry, mana value of zero, like convert a mana cost of zero, mm-hmm. correct. Um, when you cast a face down card, it goes on the stack this way. So you just get a generic gray fuzzy thing. It is just, uh, I don't know, it's, it's a face down card. Um, no other players can see what it is at this time. And in order to cast a face down card using especially the mechanics that are in this set, you're going to pay three generic mana to cast it. That three generic mana is an alternative cost to cast a spell. Because if you paid its regular cost, you would just be casting it face up. Savvy? Mm-hmm. Now, in this instance, a face down card is also defined as a 2 2 creature. Uh, now we're going to get into this, but if you cast it in this set, it will also have ward two via the disguise mechanics, but that's for somebody else to talk about. But a face down card is always going to be a two, two creature. It's going to have no name. Even if the card that you put on top of it says something like morph or disguise, that is not its name. It's just an indicator of what this funny thing that's on the battlefield is. The marker in the set is called a mysterious creature, and that's not the actual yes. name. Correct. It, it is not a card named a mysterious creature. You cannot name a mysterious creature using your pithing needle. It just has no name. Uh, it also has no mana cost and no creature types. Uh, so, for example, there are spells out there that can find and remove other cards that share a name with a card, uh, like the end from Wilds of Eldraine. If you cast something like the end on a face down creature the target card has no name and when you go searching you're not going to find a card because no card exists in the library that doesn't have a name uh similar to other spells that would just like exile target creature and all other cards that share a name with it well you're you're not going to board wipe a board full of morphs with one of those single removal spells because null is not the same also while the spell is on the stack And while it's on the battlefield disguised, it is a colorless spell or permanent. uh, And again, has a mana value of zero. Spells that interact with the creature can grant it new characteristics. For example, I can make it a goblin, which will make Charles very, very happy if I do. Uh, I can turn it blue because reasons. Or I can change a value on it, like say, that is now a 1-1 creature. Or a 5-4 creature with a scale up. Uh, All that works off of the base information that comes with being a face down card everybody with me so far mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. all right i expect you all to be answering too, listeners i expect engagement here so <laughs> next up turning the card face up for the disguise cost is a special action it can only be performed when you have priority however it does not use the stack only face down permanence can be turned up this way Uh, Now, the reason that can happen is there's things like Cloak or Manifest from back in the day that can just put a card from your hand or your library or anywhere onto the battlefield as a face-down creature. Uh, If you try to turn up a non-permanent, like a counterspell, for example, onto the battlefield, the game goes, no, you can't because I don't like non-permanents where my permanents live. Uh, Beyond that, the new disguise ability will let you cast a card face down for three generic mana. Anytime you have priority, you can turn that face down card over to reveal the other side for its disguise cost. 
So we're talking a lot of arbitraries here. Let's actually look at a card <laughs> from the set here. In this example, we have Fugitive Codebreaker. For one and a red, it is a creature goblin rogue. That is a 2-1 with prowess and haste. And it has disguise for five and a red. This cost is reduced by one generic mana for each instant and sorcery card in your graveyard. And it has the ability when Fugitive Codebreaker is turned face up, discard your hand, then draw three cards. So you can see how this is a really, really sweet spell to get out onto the battlefield, but then turn it face up and get super value for your mana investment. And in the case of Codebreaker, I don't know if we talk about it later on, but that um, discard your hand, then draw three cards. The discarding the hand part uh, does not uh, actually require you to discard your hand if you have no cards in hand. You know, you obviously can't, um, but you still yep. get to draw the three cards. Cool card. Absolutely. All right. Um, so uh, we also have an ability called Cloak, which is this set's version of Manifest. It's a little bit different. Uh, to talk about it, let's talk about a card first. Uh, Cryptic Coat for two and a blue is an artifact, is a blue, is a, of course a blue, artifact equipment. And when Cryptic Coat enters the battlefield, cloak the top card of your library, then attach Cryptic Cloak to it. Say that ten times fast. Um, it has the reminder text to cloak. To cloak a card, put it onto the battlefield face down as a 2-2 creature with Ward 2. Turn it face up anytime for its mana cost if it's a creature card. Equipped creature gets plus one, plus O, and can't be blocked. And then the activation cost of one and a blue, return cryptic coat to its owner's hand. It's a very weird little niche uh, equipment card. So cloaking is to manifest what disguises to morph. Um, instead of casting the spell, we are using the top card of the library. Um, in this case, it's we're using the top card of our library. But as we'll find out later on, spoilers, uh, Cloak can work on anybody's library, apparently, uh, if you're allowed to. Uh, this means that we may be cloaking something that's not a permanent. So you could be cloaking an, an instant or a sorcery. Uh, we don't have to pay the three to oh, the three generic mana. Uh, but we do end up with that 2-2 two, two, no name face down creature with no mana cost or creature type and ward two. Uh, that creature is colorless, and the effects that change its characteristics or give it new ones will work as anticipated. So if you wanted to make that 2-2 colorless a merfolk, uh, you could do that. Um, yeah. You can turn over a cloaked permanent you control anytime you have priority by paying its mana cost. And how do you know its mana cost? Well, the player who actually cast it and is controlling it is allowed to look at the bottom of the card while it's in play. So... You can you can do that little that little peek underneath, uh, you know that that you that gotta poker, you gotta flip it over do. too. You can like you can the opponent's gonna know when no, you no, no. flip the card over. <laughs> no, but 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 how do you know what its mana cost is when you've played it face down? Let's say it's the oh. the other players. Let's play. Let's say it's from the other player's library, okay. right? And you've played you this a little, little card and it's face okay. down. You're allowed to do that little poker peek and. No, you're allowed to actually flip it up and look at it. Um, you probably don't want to ideally reveal uh, hidden information to other players at the table until you're actually ready to pay the cloak cost and flip it up. Uh, this is a special action, just as the disguise thing is. Uh, this means that it doesn't use the stack. It can't be responded to by other players. Um, however, you can do this only if the, the card is a creature card. I think you can. Well, can yeah. you do it if it's an artifact? 
No, it's got to be a creature card. Right. Okay. Okay. And by by card, that doesn't mean like normally like, oh, it's a card and I've got an effect that's making all permanents on the battlefield creatures. No. Sure. Okay. Uh, for Morph in Disguise, the thing that lets you reveal the card and turn it face up is the Morph ability on the card. For Cloak and Manifest, in this case Cloak, turning the card face up is a part of the rules that put it face down. This means that you can turn it face up even if something is removing all abilities from permanence. If a card that is cloaked has Disguise or Morph keyword ability, you can turn it face up instead of for the actual cost mana cost of the card, but you can turn it face up for the Disguise cost because uh, it's still the special action. Um, you're just choosing to pay for it that way. Um, Double-faced cards can be cloaked. Just use your sleeves. If the front face <laughs> is a creature card, you can turn it face up like other cloaked cards. You can't turn it face uh, down from the battlefield. Yeah, so that's kind of like, okay, so I have a transforming double-faced card, and there's lots of cards in this set that like turn target face-up creature face down. Okay, if if I have a transforming double face card or just like a modal double face card, I can't turn it face down while it's on the battlefield. Okay, but I can manifest it off the top of my library. So I can get it face down that way. And that's why I just, just use your sleeves or your, your helper cards or whatever. And if something really weird happens that lets you cast it from your hand with disguise then it can also come face down on the battlefield. But you just can't turn it face down while it's on the battlefield. Does that make sense? Yep. All right. Okay, so now some general notes regarding face down cards. Casting a face down creature. So before, uh, you would just pay your three and lay the creature down. Okay, well now you have to specify whether or not you're casting it with the morph ability or the disguise ability. And... I'll be honest, in standard, if you say that you're morphing the creature, <laughs> I'm going to understand that you mean disguise. Yeah, and same with limited, as, you know, during this time period where people are playing limited matches, um, we're all going to know that it's disguise. You probably don't actually need to even say it, but in, right. in other formats, absolutely specify. Yes, if you if you say I disguise this creature and then later I try and kill it and you're like, it's got Ward 2... Uh, we're going to have to call a judge. And I don't actually know if we have good policy for that yet. We'll find out. Handle that situation. Yeah, we're going to find out. Whew. Okay. So, yeah, that that a little bit of a mess. Um, you may mm -hmm. look at uh, face-down cards, uh, the face-down side of any card that you control at any time. You can only do this to cards you don't control if a spell or effect allows you to. So just reach over there and let me see what that is. Whole point is no peeking. You don't get to know. <laughs> and that's why that's why turning it face up is a special action because if you could respond to it, you know, well now that I know what it is, yeah, I'm like, the, I think, the whole right. the whole hidden information and timing thing yeah, is Yeah, let me go ahead and good. kill it. It's not good. Let there. me go ahead and kill it while it's still a 2-2 now that I know what it is while the it, flipping is on the stack. Okay, thanks. Way better for policy that, you know. Right. Yeah. Um, if a face-down creature loses all of its abilities, so there's an effect that says, hey, this, this permanent, these permanents are, you know, it's a 1-1 one, one with no abilities, then it can't be turned up with disguise because the disguise ability is gone. Right? Womp, that womp. card has no ability. 
Okay. Turning a card face up does not cause any enters the battlefield triggers to trigger. It didn't actually enter the battlefield. It just changed its, uh, what is it, a state? Was that what we called them? States? Status. Status. We just changed its status. Okay? Yeah. Yeah. Whenever a permanent permanent is turned to face up, that does not change any spells or abilities that we're targeting or affecting that permanent. It doesn't affect auras or equipments unless new characteristics of the cards changes the legality of those effects. Okay. So there is a aura from Kamigawa block that's like... uh. Actually, that's enchant green creatures. So, if there is a if there is a um, uh, like a black aura on a on a face down creature, and then when you flip that creature over, it's got protection from black. That aura is going to fall off. Okay, so let's talk about revealing face down. Like when you reveal face down cards. Okay, this is just in general. Okay, if a face down card leaves the stack because it got countered or the creature died and is going to the graveyard or it's getting exiled, you don't keep it face down in the graveyard or face down in exile. You got to show what that card is. What? Okay, right. Um, Even if it goes back to the hand, you got to show what it is. All right. This is basically because when you're casting these creatures face down, you're with with disguise or ward. You're kind of telling the opponent, "Hey, trust me, and I'll prove to you later that this was legit." And why you have to reveal it before it goes back to your hand is if it gets bounced. Is well, what if that? What if you really needed a creature and you just cast that island as a face down two two, right? Yeah. And then when they go to kill it, you bounce it back to your hand. And you're like, "Oh, you don't get to know that I I'm a dirty, filthy cheater." When the game is over. Even if you concede, you must also reveal the face-down cards. Now, this is going to be a little complicated because I want to I call out that if you scoop up your stuff at the end of the game and you, you don't reveal your disguise or your morphs, and the reason why it's disguise or morphs and not manifest-cloaks is because there's no question. Like, all the cloak effects are just top card off the library, just uh, cloak it. There's no question as to whether or not you could or couldn't do that, right? So there is an upgrade in hidden card error. Okay, this hasn't been reworded for disguise, so I'm going to read it read it for morph. That's it. This is the hidden card error upgrade. If a face down card is cast using the morph ability or disguise ability and is discovered during the game to not have a morph ability, the penalty is a game loss. If the player has one or more uh I'm not going to go through that other stuff, but here's here's the thing. It used to be a game... This is while it's discovered during the game. It also used to be a game loss if you didn't reveal at the end of the game. But what was happening was is we had a lot of players in cons block doing basically like reveal fishing. Like it was the player who was trying to sneak hide the the morph card. You know, they, they, they played something... Uh, they played their island as a morph creature... You know, that cheat yeah. was significantly less common than the opponents just trying to, like, distract the player so that they wouldn't, they would just pick up their stuff and start shuffling so that they could call a judge over and say, they didn't reveal their morph, the game lost. Okay, the opponent, you, you actually have a, and here's the logic and why it's okay to not be a game loss, is if I'm playing Charles 
and I swing with 30 points of damage lethal for Charles, the game's not over. Like, Charles has to acknowledge the fact that he lost. Like, he he's like, yep, <laughs> you got me. Let me see what that card is or something. Like, you, Charles has an opportunity to say, let me see what that is. Yeah. Right? Absolutely. So we're not going to... Charles isn't going to just keep his mouth shut and say, like, you got me. I'm acknowledging. I'm going to hold off on mentioning that thing. And then, after you pick all your stuff up, try and scumbag a win. I mean, yeah. I guess Charles could also, like, after I attack him for 30 and he loses, he could just refuse to acknowledge the fact that he lost <laughs> for, like, several I'm years. I'm picturing maybe. me as Cartman for about three seconds there. Yeah, I get it. What's that? <laughs> I'm, picturing, yeah. I'm picturing myself as Cartman. You guys suck. <laughs> I'm, I won't lose. Guys. <laughs> Skew you I guys. reject your reality and substitute my own. Right, right, right. Okay, so... Now here's the, here's the next thing, cards on cards that are face down on the battlefield must clearly identify how they got onto the battlefield. Are they disguised? Are they morphed? Are they manifested? Are they cloaked? Okay, so we've got four possible combinations. They could be disguised, morphed, manifested, or cloaked. And no matter which method, it's got to be clear to both players. Okay, not only that. But you gotta mention the order. This this permanent is the first disguised permanent. This one is the second disguised permanent. This one is the third one. And you have to keep them in order. Like whether or not it's just the far left one is always the first one and the far right one is always the last one, or you get the little the little uh, covers. They 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 printed like little covers that you could put over top of a card, and you just write a number on uh, to to represent that this is morphed, manifested, disguised, cloaked. You get some of those, and you just write like a one or a two or a three on them, and you overlay. That's what they're called. They're, they've got these tokens that are kind of like overlays. All right. Oh boy. And this is a summary. Yeah. This is a summary of face down it cards. Is. Yeah. And and I'll say this, like, this is probably the most difficult aspect if you're playing in a format where you have to mix and match. More often than not, you're not going to have to worry about this at a competitive REL event. Uh, unless there's just, like, some disguised cards that just absolutely have to play with morphed cards or whatever. But it's still really, really important. Especially when it comes to, like what is a disguise or morph versus manifest or cloak? Cause that has real bad implications if you don't reveal like we just talked about. So yeah. that keeping track of everything is super important. Right. So, and, and here's, and here's a level, an nth level of detail. Okay. When we were in cons block, we had two different markers. They were printed. One said manifest, one said morph. You would put the morph manif morph marker on top of the morph card. You'd put the manifest marker on the top of the manifest uh, card. In this set, we have two different mechanics. We've disguised and we have cloaked, but we have one marker that's being uh, created for us for use by wizards, which is called the Mysterious Creature Marker. Um, we don't have a cloaked marker and a disguised marker. So when you go and you're playing all of these different things in one deck, you still have to note which one of the Mysterious Creatures was cloaked and which one was disguised, which is just really kind of... I don't know, weird to me. I don't know why they didn't give us two different markers. Dollars. Yeah, I'm, I'm stumped about that as well, other than the obvious yeah. dollar sign answer. Yeah. It's just, oh, we have to pay for extra art, or it'd be confusing to have two different overlays in the same pack. Yeah, People would I, I don't love it. Why? 
Cool. I don't like it either. But here, yeah, yeah, here's here's the big difference and why you have to pay attention to like which one was the first and which one was the second was if I get down a face down creature with a cloak and a face down creature with disguise, okay, and I mix them up. Like, let's say I uh, play a uh, a disguised creature face down, okay, and then I or let's let's say I I'm trying to I'm trying to what figure about out if you way. double block like. I double block with a disguise and a cloak, and then in damage assignment, my opponent moves them around, and now all of a sudden we're playing three card Monty. Right, and like you, you <clears throat> might actually be able to come with a situation where where I kind of switch to an advantage. I switch which creature has is cloaked versus which one is disguised to give me more options. Mm. So, anywho, okay. So last last sentence. If a spell or ability tries to turn a face card up that can't be face up, like if you are trying to uncloak a instant or sorcery, okay, the card is still revealed. It just says, "Hey, I it's an instant. I can't I can't do nothing." And then we just move on. The permanent will remain face down. Abilities that trigger when a permanent uh, is turned face up doesn't trigger. Revealing doesn't count as turning it face up okay so everybody gets to see it so if something tries to turn it face up i just flip it over and be like see i can't turn it face up what do you want from me and then you put it face back face down and you move on to the next topic that was a lot that was a segue that was a segue but just in case you missed it that was a segue case case what case maybe the case of the missing prilliman or that'd be an amazing card or other <laughs> cases are a new <laughs> enchantment subtype that we're going to have on these cards that look actually a lot like another card type. These look like sagas, but they are absolutely not sagas. So make sure you keep that in mind. Um, these are going to look like sagas, but there's a couple of notable differences. Like for example, the arts on the other side, the arts on the left and the rules text is on the right. Hopefully that helps with noting it, you also don't have counters on them. They're just a card with a set of instructions. Now, they have two keyword abilities on these cases. You have to solve and solved. Now, to solve means uh, it'll usually be written out as to solve dash and then a condition of some type. So if you think of like how triggers have a trigger condition, what's going to cause this to trigger? This. To solve is very similar. Uh, to solve means at the beginning of your end step, if condition and this case is not solved, then it becomes solved. So you meet the condition and the case is not solved, then it's going to become solved. Now these to solve abilities are checked twice. Once when the ability would trigger and once when it resolves. Uh, kind of like intervening if triggers. If the condition isn't true at the beginning of your end step, then nothing is going to happen. And Ultimately, if it does go on the stack and then for some reason the solved condition is not still met, then the case does not become solved. Let's look at a card and see how that applies. So here we have case of the Crimson Pulse, two and a red for an enchantment case. When this case enters the battlefield, discard a card, then draw two cards. To solve, you have no cards in hand. And little reminder check says, if unsolved, solve at the beginning of your next end step. So in this instance, Go to your end step, 
you have no cards in hand, boom, trigger goes off. You put the two solve ability on the stack. And then when it goes to resolve, if somebody forces you to draw a card, well, it's not going to happen. It's not going to become solved. Now, the meaning of solved uh, actually differs depending on what ability follows after the solved aspect. Now, there are three possible abilities. You can have either an activated ability that's going to be denoted with a cost, a colon, and an effect. Solved could also mean a triggered ability, which would be denoted with when, whenever, or at, or a static ability, which just has an ongoing effect that will come into play once you have solved this caper. So you know everything. All, all the, literally everything you can do. Yeah, really? This is like a... This is like a kitchen sink card. It really is. Although I do like that it covers half of the things that we talk about in a release notes episode right off the bat in one shot. Yeah, just add a mana ability and we're we're golden. Yeah, boom. We, we can check out. Let's go home, everybody. We, we'll get to mana abilities within like 20 minutes, I think. So we're, okay. we're, we're, we're good. We've got it all covered. There we go. Uh, so once a case has become solved, it stays that way until it leaves the battlefield. Cases will not lose other abilities when they are solved. So uh, any other abilities that are on the card, they just stick there. Whether it's solved or unsolved, it's the same. So can I, 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 I want to cover the last bullet right here. Mm-hmm. Okay, the way the card is written, it's not gaining... When you solve it, when the card is solved, it is not gaining the solved ability. The way the mm-hmm. card is templated... That ability is always on the card. It's relevant for things that are like timestamp, you know, related. adding timestamp related. Okay, the ability is always on the card. It just doesn't happen. It doesn't trigger. It's, if not, it's not turned not on s- yet. Solved. Yeah, it's yeah. It, basically every single one of these has a condition that's like, you know, this ability triggers only if it's solved. This ability is only active if it's solved. If it's solved, then do this during during the uh, trigger condition. Okay, mm-hmm. those abilities are on the card. It is not, when it becomes solved, it is not gaining an ability. Okay. Yeah, uh, one way to think of that is like with vehicles, like they have power and toughness on them, but they don't have power and toughness until they become a creature, until something happens about it. But that is always still there and a part of the card itself, similar to solved. Uh, Maybe. Maybe, Maybe. It's not the best example, but it's a way to think about it because like it's closer, the thing it's is not closer being... to threshold. Okay, the threshold ability oh, sure. yeah. always got turned on when you had seven cards in the graveyard. The, the ability was always on the card. Okay, threshold's a better example. Okay, all right. On to some more weird things. Now, here we're gonna. Uh, I'm gonna read this exactly as it's written on the release notes. Being solved is not part of a permanent's copyable values. A permanent that becomes a copy of a solved case is not solved a solved case that somehow becomes a copy of a different case stays solved so this is all talking about copyable values so what are the things that we can copy normally you think of copying as just straight up i am photocopying this i am xeroxing this what is on the card comes out the other side but the marker of being solved or the um the designation of being solved is not something that is copyable so when you're copying it onto something else, it's not going to be solved even if what you were copying had been solved at the time. Uh, and if you somehow are like transmuting your enchantment into another uh, case that is on the battlefield, if you're the one that you are changing was solved, but the thing you're 
copying was not, well, that object is still solved. In which case, that case stays solved. Think think of it as a big a big ru- rubber stamp with the word solved on it that you just stamp on the sleeve. <laughs> very, okay. very in flavor, but yes, absolutely. Right. right. Uh, you might even is similar to this. You might even think of it as a, a sticker. How dare you? I know, right? I, know, right? I went there. <laughs> of all people, Brian. I know. I know. I'm just, I'm just, I'm just sitting funky. here in shock. It's okay. It's... Right. I hate stickers. <laughs> I hate stickers it. so who, much. Who the heck is this that I'm recording with? There's so oh much evidence. Goodness. I have. I hate stickers. So, so the case is solved. The case is solved. The case is solved. So I don't have to collect and we're, any. Or, we're all missing our our segues. Yeah, no, it's okay. I don't need to collect any evidence <laughs> then, right? I'm all done. Yeah. Case hey, is solved. You might need to collect something else. <laughs> I don't even know what that means. I'm just. I don't move on. either. I'm just yeah. being sassy. Yeah. Uh, so, so we're going to talk about a, a little bit of uh, evidence collection here with Vitu Ghazi Inspector for one and a green is a one three elf detective. Uh, as an additional cost to cast the spell, you may collect evidence six, which has the reminder text: exile cards with total mana cost, uh, mana value six or greater from your graveyard. So it has an additional casting cost. Uh, it has the ability reach, and it has when Vitugazi Inspector enters the battlefield, if evidence was collected, put a plus one, plus one counter on target creature, and you gain two life. Now, that additional cost to cast the spell, it is a May ability. You can do that. You don't have to. Also, this card's supposedly detective, but I don't see a fedora in the art, so I'm a little bit sus about the whole thing. Anyway. It's fair. Um it must be undercover. Yeah, it could be undercover. I don't know. She's already in a tree, so she's pretty overcover or under overcover. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> the whole cover <laughs> thing is just... Anyway, um, if there is no way for you to exile cards with the required mana value, this is not an option to you when you're casting the spell. You can't choose to collect evidence without the minimum evidence. Okay? Um, once the spell is announced... Players cannot perform actions that would alter your graveyard. Okay, so spell is cast, it goes on the stack, and you pay for the cost, right? Otherwise, it's it's not there. So if you say you're casting Vitugazi Inspector, it's now too late for an opponent to actually uh, do anything effective to remove spells from your graveyard to prevent you from collecting your evidence. Yeah, mm-hmm. You've worn off the crime scene at that point. All right. I suspect it's my turn now. I I, yes. I do I do believe you are the person of interest now. All right, yeah. So let's talk about suspect. Uh, we'll start off with a card called Person of Interest for three and a red is a two-two human rogue. When Person of Interest enters the battlefield, suspect it. Create a two-two white and blue detective creature token. All right. So what does it mean to suspect a creature? Uh, if an effect suspects a creature, it becomes suspected. Okay, being suspected, <laughs> right? It's gonna have two. It's gonna that's gonna result in two things. It's gonna gain the ability menace. It's gonna gain the keyword menace, and it's gonna gain the text. This creature, the ability, this creature can't block for as long as it's suspected. Okay, it's gonna stay that way until it leaves the battlefield, or something else causes it to no longer be suspected. All right, suspected 
is not a keyword. Again, it's like a big rubber stamp that just gets stamped on the sleeve that says suspected. And if a creature were to lose its abilities, it's going to lose menace. It's going to lose the text this creature can't block, but it's still going to be suspected because suspected's just a designation of the card. Huh. And because it's a designation... so many rubber stamps. It is. And because it's a designation of the card, it is not a copyable value. Just like solved. It's... Yeah. Everybody's so creative. Okay. (laughs) Suspecting a creature that's already suspected doesn't do anything. You can't be double suspected. There's no consequence. Unlike... Oh, I'm blanking. I'm blanking on the little game where you're running around doing tasks and someone is the killer. Uh, you're in the little moon suits. Among Us? Among Us, right. Okay, being double suspected in Among Us is bad. You're probably going to get ejected. But in Magic, being double suspected is just like being suspected. Okay? And there can be any number of suspects. You could have a whole bunch of them. It, in that way, it can be like a game of Among Us. Okay, <laughs> New creatures being found suspect doesn't stop others from having that tab tag. Everyone can be sus. Yep. Every good murder mystery, you can have a bunch of suspects. Sounds good. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, we're still in mechanics. <laughs> I know. I'm just staring at the next mechanic and trying to think of something right, clever. Right. Like, I like, kind of just, oh, can God. we just eject from this? <laughs> yeah. Can the thing, we just Listeners, like... the things we do for you... Uh, like okay, I want to eat myself. No, the funny, out, the out funny thing is, is, I argued, I argued with my, yeah, I argued with myself about whether or not even to include the one that Marcus is about to go over because we've done it so often recently. All right, yeah, let's crack some cases. Let's let's crack a cold one. Yeah, let's do it. All right, cold case cracker is a card that has one of our returning mechanics, clue tokens and investigate. So in this case, cold case cracker, three and a blue. For a creature spirit detective, that's a 3-3 with flying. And it just says, when cold case cracker dies, investigate. So, just a few handy reminders because we're all pretty familiar with clues up to now. But just the things you need to know. Clues are artifacts. Clue is an artifact subtype. So, they might appear on some actual cards uh, that are artifacts as well. But... Here, clues are just a defined artifact in the game. If an effect now, references... Go ahead. I was saying there, there are some cards that also have a type clue on them. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so they're artifacts, but they might not be colorless. You could have a blues clues. <laughs> you can have a blues clues. In fact, this card is a blues clues maker. So, Cre- <laughs> Blues clues creator? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> But it's always going to have the same things. A lot of those creatures that are also clues or any artifacts that are clues will usually have the same pay to generic mana and sacrifice this artifact to draw a card. Now, if an effect references a clue, it means any clue artifact, not just the clue tokens that can be created as a part of investigating. This set, for example, has a card named Wrench that can be referenced because it is a clue. Uh, A singular clue cannot be sacrificed to pay multiple costs. So if you have a one card that has a cost of sacrifice a clue and another one that has a cost of sacrifice a clue, you cannot sacrifice that one clue to pay both costs. It's one-to-one. Some spells or abilities that investigate may also end up requiring a target 
Now, if the target of any spell or ability in, ends up becoming illegal when it's resolving, the spell or ability will not resolve. It'll be uh, countered by the game rules effectively, although not countered because that's a discussion that also has come up recently. It's just not going to resolve, uh, colloquially known as fizzling here and there. Uh, there will be no investigation and no clue token will be created if that spell or ability does not resolve. And finally, if an ability triggers when you sacrifice a clue, those triggers or those abilities will trigger regardless of the reason that you sacrificed the clue. You can be sacrificing it to its own ability to draw a card. You could be sacrificing it because a card tells you to sacrifice an artifact. Doesn't matter. It just sees a clue has been sacrificed. Go. Sure. Or don't go. Well, no. I, I mean, I do want to split. It's 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 a terrible thing, but I've I've got to run got other stuff to do um <laughs> so we're going to talk about split cards for a minute and it's interesting because outside of commander products we haven't had a chance to review split cards for a little while now um the card that i'm going to look at is called cease and desist and it's a weird looking thing because if you if you have the card right side up like you're holding it in your hand it looks like all of it's sideways so you turn it uh, 90 degrees to the right and you end up with a card that has what looks like two cards on them. And in fact, it really is almost treated that way. Uh, one side, one card is called Cease for one and a hybrid uh, Golgari. And the other is Desist for four and two hybrid Selesnia mana. The Cease card is an instant. It says exile up to two target cards from a single graveyard. Target player gains two life and draws a card. And the Desist side is a sorcery. So it's important to note that we have a card here with both an instant and a sorcery on it. And it, the sorcery side says, destroy all artifacts and enchantments uh, for six mana value. So uh, the split cards in the set will only allow you to cast one side or the other. Uh, there is no way in Karloff Manor to cast both sides of this type of split card. Uh, there, there was a previous incarnation of split cards that for um, that you could elect to basically fuse them together and cast both sides simultaneously. Those were kind of cool. Uh, split cards, as mentioned, have two cards on one side. When you cast one side, let's say in this example, desist, you ignore the other side, cease. It just doesn't exist while it's on the stack. So you cast it, you say, I'm casting cease on the stack. That's all that's there. Uh, split card is still a single card, so when the game looks at you discarding a card, you've discarded one card, not two cards. It's one physical card. If the game counts the number of instants or sorceries in the graveyard, this would only count once. So if you're counting the number of instants, it would count the one instant. If you're counting the number of sorceries, it would count as one sorcery, uh, even though it has both on it. Um, each split card has two names. When an effect asks you to name a card, you may only choose one of the card names, not both. So if an effect says name this name a card that um, cannot be played for the rest of the game, you can name Cease. Cease would not be allowed to be played for the rest of the game, but Desist would. A split card when not on a stack is the sum of its parts, though, which is kind of intuitive if you think about it. So that means that the mana value of this particular card is 8. Um, if in effect, would you let you search for a card with a mana value of two or less? You can't find it because the cease side costs two. Okay, you just you just don't see it because the mana value is in fact eight. 
if an effect would allow a spell with specific characteristics to be cast, look at only the half that you are casting. So if a spell would let you cast something from your graveyard that has a casting cost of six, you could cast assist in this case. All of this makes sense? All good? Yeah, I can suspend disbelief for long enough yeah. to see that there's two cards in one, sure. Sure. Awesome. You know, speaking of suspend disbelief, in Gremlins 2, there's a scene where Gizmo, like, takes a paperclip, unfolds it, and, like, makes a little bow and arrow and shoots a little rubber dart to a grate and, like, shimmies across it like Rambo mm-hmm. on a repelling line. I remember this, yes. And, yeah, and despite the fact that I am, I have suspended disbelief to the point that I'm watching a movie about things that multiply <laughs> when you get them wet and turn into monsters when you feed them after midnight, despite the fact that it's always after midnight in some time zone, <laughs> that scene was just too much for me because there's A, no way that that paperclip could su- <laughs> support the weight of the bow, like when you pull on it, and that little, that little suction dart thing would not shoot across the room and would not hold hold uh, the Mogwai's weight. Yeah, you're you're asking important questions, but the real question is: Is Gremlins a Christmas movie? Uh, well, I tell you what, I've watched it for hours, and uh, I believe that it is good. Okay, fair enough. Yeah. Okay, so the next card that we're going to talk about is watching for watcher of hours. <laughs> you like that? The double the double oh, segue. That was so good. You thought I was going somewhere. I did. He got me. He got <laughs> yeah. me. All right. So watcher, so suspend changed. We're not going to go over a lot of it, but when we typically don't talk about commander products, because these episodes would be forever if we did, but we're going to talk about the change to suspend because it is a functional rules change. So for five and a blue, there is a six, six Sphinx with flying and ward that says, uh, whenever you remove a time counter from watcher of hours, while it's exiled, surveil one. Now, that's important because you can actually put time counters on permanents that are on the battlefield. But only permanents that are suspended... Actually, that's not true. Uh, (laughs) Suspended permanents typically have time counters on them. Typically. Anyway, it's got suspend six for one and a blue. The abbreviated text is, rather than cast this card from your hand, you may pay one and a blue and exile it with six time counters on it. At the beginning of your upkeep, remove a time counter. When the last time counter is removed, you may cast it without paying its mana cost. It has haste. That's the big change. It You may cast it. Before, back in the day, back in the old times, like when Gremlins 2 was in theaters, Suspend <laughs> did not have that word may. When the last time counter came off, you had to cast it. The reason why they changed it to a may... Just Dunks posted a, a, a Twitter thread or an ex... What what are they called now? An excretion? Um, <laughs> Many of them can be, he, yes. Yeah, right. He tweeted uh, the reasons. And basically what it boils down to is there's a lot of really weird stuff uh, uh, that can come into play when you're forced to cast a spell that's that kind of is weird. Like, what if there's an additional cost? And uh, do you have, are you forced to sacrifice a creature? Or if there's Thalia, are you forced to pay one? You know, no, but what if you have an Omnath in play and you have an open mana pool? Bunch of weird stuff. And it was basically, I think, causing developers of Arena fits as they did things. So they just changed it to May to kind of eliminate all of those problems. 
Yeah. No so, more rift bolting yourself in the face if your opponent has hex. Right. They've just made the game slightly less complicated. Let's be thankful. Yay. Thank you, former okay. co-host of JudgeCast, Jess Dunks. Yes. Thank you. Thank you, Jess. We did we did ask Jess if he would like to come on and help us with the show notes. Um, and somebody pointed out that that might be outside assistance. And, and while I'm not sure it's actually outside assistance, I'll just defer to Jeff Higgins on that and, and move on. What? Explain it's... after. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we'll explain later. This is already long enough. Okay. This is, yeah. Okay. Thank you. All right. Passing the segues. We're going straight to Goad because we're not going to talk about Goad. But we're going to make sure that you know where you can find information about Goad because it is uh, apparently in every commander set nowadays and it's just a commander staple mechanic. So uh, if you want a refresher on the Goad mechanic that does appear on some commander cards, you can refer to CR posting number 701.38. If you have any questions... So you can Goad to the CR reference? Goad to the CR reference, 70138. Yes. And if you have any questions... Hit us up on our socials at JudgeCast, basically everywhere, or reach out to us individually if you want to. We could go deeper, but we've talked enough about mechanics without talking about cards. So, want to get to some cards? Let's go! I, I don't know. <laughs> well, I think this, you're, you're, I think this is you. all the, tr- the you wanna... hype train out of here. Yeah, you really killed the mood. Yeah, what yeah, a fun I, killer. I, f- I feel like there is a killer among us. It's terrible. It's terrible. Um, Back to our Among Us reference. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> we got there. Double double joke. Um, so a killer Among Us uh, is four and a green, and it's an enchantment. And it reads, when a killer Among Us enters the battlefield, create a 1-1 one, one white human creature token, a 1-1 one, one blue merfolk creature token, and a 1-1 one, one red goblin creature token. Then secretly choose human, merfolk, or goblin. It's always goblin. It, it, no, it is not. But we'll talk about that in a moment. <laughs> oh. um, sacrifice a killer among us. Reveal the chosen creature type. If target attacking creature token is the same chosen type, put three plus one plus one counters on it, and it gains death touch until end of turn. Cool. So uh, the first thing with this card, the goblin clearly didn't do it. But if it was, it probably had a good reason. The person control of the permanent makes the secret choice. There are a few reasons, reasonable ways to do this. Choose something that works best for you. Use common sense. So you could put a token face down because we all have the those generic tokens probably in our kit when we go to Friday Night Magic because we're all good magic players. Um, or you could write your choice on a piece of uh, small piece of paper or you could use maybe an infinite token or some other wipeable token. Whatever. Just keep your choice with the copy of a killer among us that you played uh, if you could because if you control multiple copies of a killer among us you can have different choices for each one killer among us it's can conspiracy stuff. it's conspiracy theory stuff yeah a killer among us can choose any attacking creature token that matches the type chosen it doesn't have to be limited to the token created by the particular version of killer among us on the battlefield uh, only a token of the chosen type can receive the bonus so you can't choose merfolk and then give it to some shady human. Um, it has to be, you know, given to a merfolk token. All right. Sounds great. Really neat little art on that card. I love it. I, I, I hereby relinquish control of talking about the first card and allow somebody to talk about the second card. Okay. Um, r- real quick. Uh, not only if you have multiple uh, a killer among us's. Um, <laughs> um, amongst 
us. Uh, <laughs> if I if I have the ability to copy the trigger, to, and so I get to secretly choose another type, and I could use either type to sacrifice Killer Among Us, can't I? Yeah, in fact, you could choose the same type again, I think. Well, I mean, no, nah, I wouldn't want to do that. Mm. I definitely want to choose a second type to... You know. Yeah, you would want to choose a different type, I think. Right. Yeah. yeah. Okay. I think that works. Yeah. Okay. Definitely. I does. agree. Yep. Okay. Glad we've we're solving that question. Um, okay. <laughs> that was that was a bold attempt there, Brian. I I, I, I applaud it. I applaud it. I'm 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 a um, little. This is this is a this is the next card. We're dealing with a creature that has figured out. His workout routine, he's absolving as opposed to absolving. He's absolving Lamasu for four and a white. Does sound like an exercise. Lamasu? Lamas, yeah, absolving. That's how it's doing. Lamas, Lamas giving birth. Right. And the art, the art actually looks like some sort of like weird heartless creature from a Kingdom Hearts game. But it is a 4 3 flyer that says, when absolving Lamasu enters the battlefield, all suspected creatures are no longer suspected. They are going to lose that designation, and so they're going to lose that menace, and they're going to lose that other thing that comes with menace. What is it? They can't block? Inability to block, yeah. Inability to block, right. Okay. And then when absolving Lamasu dies, you gain three life and suspect up to one target creature an opponent controls. So who killed the Lamasu? Okay. That last ability... Where it says um, you can suspect up to one target creature an opponent controls. You do not have to target a creature. Okay. If you do not choose a target, you are going to gain the three life. If you do target a creature and that creature is gone when this ability goes to resolve, you will not gain the life. Okay. So if that life is really, really, really important to you and that, that target creature... The opponent controls. They might be able to do something tricksy with it. Maybe just gain the three life and don't don't, don't suspect their stuff. Okay? Don't want to look over there, have them quaking in their boots or anything. No quaking. No quaking in their boots at all. Yeah. Except if you're getting attacked by a mole, I guess? Holy moly. I don't know. Our next card from Murders at Pavlov Manor is Enzrag the Quake Mole. <laughs> For two, a red and a green. This is a legendary creature mole god at mythic rare. This is epic. It's an 8-4. Such a great creature type, mole god. It's so good. Mole god, I love it. The art is just fantastic. I love everything about this card. Especially its ability, which is, whenever Enzreg, the quake mole, becomes blocked, untap each creature you control. After this combat phase, there is an additional combat phase. It also has the activated ability of three generic mana, red, red, and green, green. So seven total mana. Enzrag must be blocked each combat this turn if able. What? First of all, what a card. Now let's talk about what, what, what happens here. This is going to do some really crazy things to combat depending on what shenanigans people are getting into. And I've already heard a lot of shenanigans. Let's start with blocking. Now, if multiple creatures block Andrag at any time, the trigger only happens once. All it cares about is when it becomes blocked, not how many creatures are blocking it. Uh, and that's because of how it's worded, whenever blank becomes blocked. Happens all at once. You're not putting one person in front of and then putting another person in front of. It's not a martial arts movie where everybody goes one at a time to stop the, the creature. It's 
all at once. However, Andrag's first ability can trigger multiple times. Uh, this is the case if it ends up being blocked in your first combat step, and then everything untaps, you go to the next combat phase, and it gets blocked again. Well, that triggers another combat phase. And as we all know, giving Gruul players multiple combats over and over and over again, lots of fun for the Gruul player, not much fun for anyone else. If you were to activate the last ability, only one creature is required to block it on each combat this turn. So if there end up being three different combat phases because you keep blocking either with a creature that isn't dying to combat damage or to, because you just keep throwing creatures at it, you know, Chuck Norris style, you still have to block Andrag. Now, the exception to this is if the creature or creatures in opponent controls can't block for any reason. Maybe you gave Andrag Menace because it's suspect. I totally see how this mole god can be very sus. And, you know, your opponent only has one creature. Or in the case of needing to pay a cost in order for a creature to block, your opponent is not forced to pay that cost. So there are exceptions to get around that. Otherwise, that is our big boy mole god, Anzrag. You know, that is, he is a, Anzrag is a star-nosed mole. That is the type of mole with that, uh, has like the prolapsed hemorrhoid sphincter on their face. <laughs> Brian. What? Brian. What? That's a visual none of us needed. Nope. Like my I, I, Google images right now, I'm absolutely horrified. Uh, that sounds like that, a personal problem, right? Some of these creatures, I can't tell if they're coming or going. <laughs> I'm gonna assemble some sense of dignity. Take away that and, <laughs> yeah, and move yeah, on. I, I just did. I did a very okay. good job too. Uh, assemble some sense of dignity. We're gonna move yeah. on with assemble the players for one and a white. It's an enchantment, and it says you may look at the top card of your library anytime. Oh, goody, one of these cards. Lots of rules to talk about. Uh, it also says once each turn, you may cast a creature spell with power two or less from the top of your library. Oh, more stuff to talk about. Cool. Okay, so you can look at the top card of your library at any time with a restriction that we'll get to in just a second. Even when you don't have priority. Looking at the top card is not an action that uses the stack. It's not something that uh, an opponent can respond to. If the top card of your library changes during a spell's resolution, you can't look at the new top card until the spell is done resolving. So if you're casting that creature spell with power two or less using the ability on Assemble the Players, you can't say, I'm casting Goblin Guide, then look at the next top card before you've before you've actually paid for Goblin Guide. Goblin Guide, you have to finish the actual casting of the card. Uh, you must pay all required costs and follow all normal timing restrictions for casting a spell. Uh, for instance, during your opponent's turn, you can't cast a sorcery or creature unless they have flash. If Assemble the Players leaves the battlefield and returns the same turn, the second ability is considered to be a new one. So if you're really clever and you cast a spell off the second ability, then blink, assemble the players. Then you can also play another card off your top of your library again that turn. Uh, if you have multiple assemble the players on the battlefield, each one's second ability is a separate instance. Uh, land cards cannot be played from the top of the library using assemble the players ability because they are not cast. 
very clearly it says you may cast a creature spell with power two or less. So it's it's not only specifying a creature spell, but it's spell it's specifying that you have to cast it. Um, you can't play a land creature such as Dryad Arbor. Um, if your top guard has disguise or morph as an ability or future proofing any other similar ability dealing with face down cards yet to be named, uh, then you can cast the top card for its disguise or morph cost face down since it will enter as a 2-2 regardless of what it is when it's turned over. Okay? Cool Sounds beans. Good. Sweet. Really got a leg up on All that. All right. <laughs> yes. All right. Let's... <laughs> okay. So we're going to talk about bite down on crime, but Marcos made a joke that we can only talk about <laughs> if we understand the art of the card. Yep. Okay, so I'm gonna before I talk about the card, I'm gonna talk about the art and how this art is like some sort of weird MC Escher drawing where nothing lines up. Like it the, has the, it has a real force perspective going on that just doesn't it, it's work. It's not for even me. a force perspective. It, it's just it's, like the leg, yep. the 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 floor yep. doesn't match the monster yep. that's on it. Yep. The leg that the monster's biting doesn't seem is like twisted weird with the body. Yeah. Like it's and then there's a wall. Yeah. It's just it's, it's it's got like the floor is the wall and the wall is the floor, but it's not it's just right. It's weird. like looking at the Penrose it, steps in biting form. Yeah. And it doesn't really seem like all this weird stuff is intentional either. It just seems kind of accidental. Okay. That's not a joke. That's not a setup for anything. It's just <laughs> this, it's, this it, picture. It, it, it's odd. It's odd. This picture is like reading, like uh, there was like HP Lovecraft stories where he talked about like someone laying in bed, staring at a corner of their room that somehow was right angles, but not 90 degrees. That's what this picture is. <laughs> That's exactly just, what this is. It's just nothing makes sense. So we're going to ignore the art and we're just going to bite down on the rules text. So bite down on crime for three and a green. It's a sorcery that says as an additional cost to cast the spell, you may collect evidence six. This spell costs two less to cast if evidence was collected. Okay. So yes, you're collecting evidence. Six reduces the cost by two. Cool. And then it says target creature you control gets plus two plus oh until end of turn. It deals damage equal to its power to target creature you don't control. Okay, this spell has two targets. So if both targets get removed, the spell is removed from the stack and put into the graveyard, a.k.a. fizzles. It's not countered. That'll be relevant for another card later. But if one of the creatures is removed or becomes illegal, well, it can't, you know, the the target creature you control can't deal damage to the target creature you don't control if one of the halves isn't there and i think i've talked about this card as much as possible because we don't want people to get buried in a bunch of meaningless conversation yes let's instead bury them in the garden our next card yes. in murders at barclays manor which is in brooklyn y'all is buried in the garden for two a green and a white this is an enchantment aura that says enchant land. When buried in the garden enters the battlefield, exile target non-land permanent you don't <clears throat> control until buried in the garden leaves the battlefield. Whenever enchanted land is tapped for mana, its controller adds an additional one mana of any color. So, if buried in the garden leaves the battlefield before the exile ability were to resolve, the target permanent will not be exiled. 
uh, or is attached to the exiled permanent go to their owner's graveyard. So the creature that's holding up a sword and is enchanted with this aura uh, goes poof. The sword clatters to the ground. The, the enchantment just poofs away and all goes away. Uh, the equipment will become unattached and remain on the battlefield. Any counters on the permanent will no longer exist. And when the permanent returns to the battlefield later on, very confused because it just got buried in a garden out of nowhere, um, it is considered a new object in the game with no memory of what it used to be. Very confused state for this creature. Uh, if a token is targeted and exiled, it will cease to exist. As we all love to say, that creature goes poof. Poof. I really wish you had like about 10 more things to talk about with this card, because I swear I can't figure out a segue that works. It's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's just terrible. I, I've got this, I'm, I'm... this burning need to, to find a solution. And I think I just found it. Isn't that great? You got me. Got there. Got him. Because I was actually, I was actually thinking you were having a hard time. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah. So the next yeah, one you, is, you did a good job masking I, I, that deception. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, okay. Uh, so the next card is Case of the Burning Masks for one red red. It is an enchantment case. Uh, and it has the three little boxes here with information. So the first box says, when this case enters the battlefield, it deals three damage to a target creature and opponent controls. Cool. Lightning bolt on a case. Um, nice. To, to, but it is just a creature. It's not any any target. Okay, well, anyway. Uh, to solve uh, three or more sources, you controlled dealt damage this turn. So if unsolved, solve at the beginning of your end step is the reminder there. And then it has solved. Sacrifice this case, colon. Exile the top three cards of your library. Choose one of them. You may play that card this turn. Now, before I even get started on this, there's like, I don't know, six or seven cases in this set. Um, it's weird because it's, there's no complete cycle. I don't think it has a, a white case. Um, but this is, as we were talking earlier, how, uh, they have different abilities depending on what it is. This one's an activated ability, um, uh, for the final ability for solved. Okay. So anyway, um, let's get into the nuts and bolts of it. You need to control those sources that dealt damage only when they dealt damage. If they die, change control, or something else happens, to solve ability will still trigger as long as you control the case. Activated and trigger abilities are not actual sources of damage. The source of the damage is whatever the object had the activated, it, whatever the object was that had the activated or triggered ability. If multiple creatures you control deal damage, each one counts as a separate instance or source of damage. But if a single source deals damage multiple times, like our angry little mole god we were just talking about earlier, uh, and he's not that little, so I'm I'm probably <laughs> you know just just being mean, um, that still only counts as a single source. Um, so you could have three different combats; it only counts as a single source. Something that changes zones will become a new object, though. Okay. So the example that the rules text gave is, is really good. It's, it's Flame Tongue Cavu, which is from a, a different set. Uh, and Flame Tongue, Flame Tongue Cavu uh, is for three and a red, is a creature. And it says when it comes, enters the battlefield, it deals four damage to target creature. So picture for a second that when it's cast, it deals that enter the battlefield uh, ability trigger, four damage. Then if you cast Momentary Blink, 
blinking the Kavu and Kavu comes back in, it's a new object and it deals three damage. And then if you cast Momentary Blink again in the same turn, targeting Kavu, it comes back in and that will satisfy the, the to solve, uh, I, I wrote it down as trigger condition. It's not really a trigger condition. It, it, it'll solve the, it'll solve the to solve condition. Right. Yeah. Right. Because I mean, to um, solve is a trigger condition. It says at the beginning of your end step, if yeah. you met this, go. So yeah, it'll 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 satisfy the criteria for the condition of the trigger. Right. Right. Okay. Yeah. Um. So uh, a permanent that deals damage multiple times in a turn using different methods, combat ability, something else, is still the same source if it never leaves the battlefield. Okay. Part of the the, the whole thing with the flame tongue cavu was making sure that it was a different object each time. Uh, it would leave and come back, and it's a new thing. Uh, the last ability must follow timing restrictions and you have to pay all costs. You can play a land card, but if you do, it can only be played during the main phase and while the stack is empty. Cool. I think I've solved the case. I hope so after all that. Yeah. So the next card is Concealed Weapon. For one and a red, it is an artifact equipment. Equipped creature gets plus three, plus oh. It has Disguise for two and a red. When Concealed Weapon is turned face up, attach that to target creature you control. All right, so um, I'm going to point out this isn't Cloak. We said earlier that when a card gets cloaked, you can only flip it, uh, flip it. You can only turn it face up by pay if it's a creature card. Okay, well, this is an example of a non-creature that gets disguised. Okay, that's fine. But cloaking and manifesting, it's got to be a creature under there. All right. So concealed weapon, all normal rules for disguising holds into play. Uh, attaching concealed weapon with its triggered ability. So when it is turned face up, it works differently from attaching with its equipped ability. Okay. You don't have to pay the um, the equipped costs. You don't have to honor the timing restriction of do this only as a sorcery. You just bloop, put it on. If the creature targeted by Concealed Weapons Trigger becomes an illegal target, it's just going to remain on the battlefield unattached. It doesn't, like, return, remorph or redisguise or anything like that. Um, also, uh, you can you can turn it face up by uh, paying the disguise cost, even if you don't have a creature, okay? This is the, the, the whole thing. It's a trigger. When Concealed Weapon is turned face up, attached target creature, there's no creature, okay, you already turned it face up. And... If you have any auras on Concealed Weapon when it's face down and you turn it into an equipment, well, those auras might fall off unless it's like enchant creature or artifact or enchant permanent or something like that. All right. Yeah. Got it. Yeah. So mail that clear. You connected all the dots. So, so, so the player in me is, is really intrigued by this card. Um, let's do the 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 visual setup um i'm playing uh i have a concealed weapon face down um and i have let's say a a one one human uh my opponent has um i don't know a one one on on their side of the board right i say combat they decide to for whatever reason block the the two two right i can then after blockers are declared choose to pay the disguise cost right yeah. Flip concealed weapon, attach it to the one one who's currently unblocked, and get him for four damage. This card's pretty slick. Yeah. I like it. That's amazing. Yeah. It reminds I, me of I, that scene in Always Sunny where 
uh, they just start pulling out guns and oh, I start blasting. Yeah, yeah. I, I I really do think this is a. I mean, it's an uncommon, so it, it'll probably be uh, valued the way it should be. But I think you have to think about all the implications and what it does to combat, and it it's really neat, really really yes. neat. And relating to it's always sunny because we went way past the other setup. Uh, let's get all Charlie Day and start connecting the dots here. Uh, next up in Murders at Stroganoff Manor, it is connecting the dots. This is an enchantment for one and a red. Whenever a creature you control attacks, exile the top card of your library face down. You can't look at it. For one and a red and discard your hand and sacrifice connecting the dots, put all land cards exiled with connecting the dots into their owner's hands. So, each copy of Connecting the Dots that you have on the battlefield has its own set of exiled cards. When you're playing this at a tournament, best practices means that you should be putting these cards under the individual copies of this enchantment just to make sure you're not mixing them up accidentally in exile or not mixing it all into one big pile, even though... They are all part of the same unified exile zone. You still have to be able to track which cards are connected to which connecting the dots. Now, if connecting the dots leaves the battlefield before you get the opportunity to use the activated ability, the cards are going to just remain in exile for the rest of the game. Importantly, you still can't look at them. If any cards are put into exile, specifically stating put them into exile face down and there's nothing that tells you you can look at them, you're not allowed to look at them, even if the original card that put them there disappears. Now, if you return the same card of connecting the dots to the battlefield, it's a new object and therefore will have no access to any of the cards that it previously exiled in its former life. Forgets all about it, looks around and goes, hey, I'm hungry, give me some more cards. And finally, the cost of the activated ability of discard your hand, again, does not require you to have cards in your hand. It just says, whatever you got in your hand, chuck it over your shoulder. You've discarded those cards. Get rid of them. Actually, don't toss them over your shoulder. That's bad for the cards, and it's bad for whoever's sitting behind you at the pre-release. Either way, it only references what you do if you happen to have a hand at the moment. And that's it for connecting the dots. What a weird card. I, f- I feel cornered. I feel backed into the wall. I'm, 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 I'm not sure what to do about it, but we'll soldier on somehow and deal with the crooks in this case. And you'll soldier on, won't you? I warrior on instead. Carry on my warrior son. I don't know. Um, cornered crook for four and a red is a five-four Viachino warrior. Um, I don't know why they don't call them lizard men. Uh, or lizard persons. I I don't. Um, Hmm. When Cornered Crook enters the battlefield, you may sacrifice an artifact. When you do, Cornered Crook deals three damage to any target. Hey, look! Reflexive triggers! How do those work? Um, So what we have here is we have a, a paragraph here, or two sentences that have two sentences that both start with when. So we have a trigger that it creates another trigger. So when this enters the battlefield, you don't target when the trigger is added to the stack. You'll notice that the first sentence doesn't say target anywhere. It's the second sentence that actually does. Um, the second reflexive ability happens when you choose to sacrifice an artifact. And when that new ability goes on the stack uh, to do damage to any target, that action may be responded to by a player. That's when you choose the, the target. Cool. All right. 
Next up is Crowd Control Warden for three green and a white. It is a 4-4 creature centaur soldier uh, with disguise three and then uh, Selesnia hybrid, Selesnia, Selesnia hybrid mana. And says, as Crowd Control Warden enters the battlefield or is turned face up, put X plus one plus one counters on it where X is the number of other creatures you control. Okay, two things about this. Uh, well, first, this is a replacement effect. It's not a trigger, which means if Crowd Control Warden enters the battlefield with a bunch of other stuff, it's only going to see those other that other stuff and Crowd Control Warden itself. They're not on the battlefield as Crowd Control Warden is coming on the battlefield. Okay, so we're only going to see the creatures that were already there. Next thing about this card is it's also as it is turned face up. So remember, turning something face up, paying the disguise cost, is a special action. All right? So you are a special action, pay the disguise cost, turn it face up. As it's turning face up, it's going to get those counters. The opponent can't say, with the ability on the stack, I'm going to kill it as a 4-4. No, it's going to, before the opponent has the opportunity to do anything, it's going to get all them counters. Meh. How's that? Meh. Understand that? Is it cryptics enough for you? It is cryptics enough. Okay. So, next up in Murders at Emo Goth Manor, we have Cryptex, which is a two-mana <laughs> artifact that just says tap, collect evidence three, colon, add one mana of any color, then put an unlock counter on Cryptex. Now, once again, collect evidence is to exile cards with total mana value three or greater from your graveyard for collect evidence three. And then it has the wonderful ability of sacrifice Cryptex to surveil three, then draw three cards. Activate only if Cryptex has five or more unlock counters on it. So Cryptex's ability to add one mana of any color is a mana ability like we were talking about before. So this means it doesn't use the stack nor can players respond to it. Now we're going to go through, how do we know it's a mana ability? Well, in this case, yeah, yeah, it's an activated ability that creates mana, adds mana to your mana pool. It does not have a target. Even though you're collecting evidence, you're not targeting any evidence from your graveyard, so it doesn't have a target. And, of course, is not a loyalty ability. Uh, remember, mana abilities can also be triggered abilities, uh, but in this case, this is just a straightforward mana ability. I think you did very well with that. Um, I laud your um, commitment to the murders bit. Uh, I I wish I were quite uh, as skilled and as deadly as as you are at. Say, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> yeah, we do reach a certain point, and I just. I don't know what to do anymore to make it work. So we're just going to go to this next card because this next card is just utterly fascinating to me. All right. Uh, it is deadly cover up. It's three and two black. It's a sorcery. Um, it has a bit of text on it. Uh, as an additional cost to cast a spell, you may collect evidence six. That's cool. Okay. Destroy all creatures. If evidence was collected, exile a card from an opponent's graveyard. Then search its owner's graveyard, hand, and library for any number of cards with that name and exile them. That player shuffles, then draws a card for each card exiled from their hand this way. So I kind of read through that a little quickly, but I want to go back and, and highlight something and then ask a question. It does say exile card from an opponent's graveyard. 
So does that mean that we can exile a basic land? But and if we Joe, do, what I happens? think it can. Yeah, yeah, it does. <laughs> it, it requires the basic land to be in their graveyard. Yes, yes. However, this is if if you pull it off in a limited environment, it says win the game because you cut off half of the player's mana, maybe more, maybe a little less, but either way, mm. you, in most players in a limited format are playing two colors, and if you cut off and turn off half their deck, <laughs> they're just gonna they're they're just they're just gonna turn around and say we're done here. But it does have to be in their graveyard. Uh, I see this as being it. It's a little expensive, but the effect is really good. I see this as being something that in other formats might possibly see play as a sideboard card. Um, if you can play this against somebody who's monocolored and doing something with their graveyard, <laughs> you're going to hurt them. <laughs> yeah. You're going to hurt them bad. <laughs> I, just, yeah. I, cannot, I cannot wait to see this card in a legacy deck list, honestly. I don't, I don't know if it's probably too expensive for that, and it probably doesn't do exactly what people want it to do. Um, there's probably a thousand reasons why, and, and you know, speculation Yeah, at five fun, mana, it's a lot but, less impactful than, like, three mana to do the boy, same kind it, of effect. But boy, is it cool. <laughs> oh, yeah. All right. I hadn't even thought about it in Limited. That's, ooh, that's spicy. All Y'all better right. look out for that. Yep. Yep. Uh, all right. Here we've got Del- uh, Delny uh, Samwise Gamgee Lookout. No, Delny Streetwise <laughs> Lookout for two and a white. It's a legendary creature human scout 2-2 two, two card that's been all over the internet. Everybody's super excited about it. This will be... The first time I've read this card. All right. <laughs> At least you're honest. I know. Like, I've seen it and I was just like, ah, it does something doubling triggers, so screw it. Let's see okay, if Brian yeah, is so impressed as everyone let's else see. is. Let's see. Okay, so it says creatures you control with power two or less can't be blocked by creatures with power three or greater. All right. Um, and then it says, if an ability of a creature you control with a power two or less triggers, that ability triggers an additional time. Holy smokes, we have so many show notes for something so simple. All right. So, first <laughs> off, once a creature you control is blocked, it's blocked. Changing its power, changing the power or the blocker's power, no one cares. All right. We're going to talk about replacement effects. Okay. Replacement effects are not triggers. The second ability carry, cares about when things trigger, triggers use the word when, whenever, and at, not as. So if we just look back at one of the, the, the card that I was just talking about just a few short hours ago with crowd-controlled war, and it said as it enters the battlefield. That's not when it enters the battlefield, all right? This is important. When, whenever, at, okay? Um, okay, so the next thing is, is this ability, we're not copying the trigger, Okay, the ability isn't copied. The trigger isn't copied. It just happens again. All right. So just like Gremlins and Gremlins 2, they're going to make another movie. We're going to make that movie an additional time. It's basically the same movie. All right. (laughs) Um, Any choices made by the player controlling Delaney, such as targets or modes, are allowed to be made differently. Like instead of taking place in a small town, for Gremlins 1, it takes place in an office building. Gremlins 2, different choices. All right. Any choices that happen on resolution, such as where the counters go, also happen individually. 
having multiples of Delaney in play under your control do not get you exponential triggers. This is just an additional trigger. So each Delaney gives you one more trigger. Okay, this isn't doubling. It's just giving you a plus one. Huh. All right. When a triggered ability is linked to a second ability, additional instances of that triggered ability are also linked to that second ability. Cool. If a second ability references the exiled card, it references all cards exiled with the triggered ability. All right. Now I'm going to read this. I'm going to read this from the release notes verbatim because it's a big paragraph and I'm going to hopefully figure it out as I'm saying the words. In some <laughs> cases involving linked abilities, an ability requires information about the exiled card. When this happens, the ability gets multiple answers. Okay. If these answers are being used to determine the value of a variable, the sum is used. Okay. So if I am, uh, I think there's a, a, an imprint creature that gets like plus X minus X where it's equal, where, where the value is equal to the mana cost of the exiled cards. Okay. If that trick, if that, if that exiling trigger gets doubled, and I've got two creatures that are exiled. Well, then I'm just going to add up these sums. Oh, look, the paragraph gives me an example I could have used instead of making up my own in real time. <laughs> For example, if Elite Arcanist enters the battlefield ability triggers twice, two cards are exiled. All right, let's let's look up Elite Arcanist right now live. Okay, Elite Arcanist. Is it Arcanist or Arcanist? This is really me just Arcanist. stalling while the page is Arcanist. loading. I don't actually care what the answer is. All right. You're asking the, the two librarians? Yes. Come on. Okay. The, the elite arcanist um, has the ability that says, when elite arcanist or elite, um, elite arcanist enters the battlefield, you may exile an instant card from your hand. All right, so if this gets triggered twice, because this is just a 1-1, one, one, so Delaney's going to be like, oh, yeah, you get to do this twice. I'm going to exile uh, uh, two instances from my hand. Then it's got this ability X, tap, copy the exiled card. You may pay that, you may cast the copy without paying its mana cost. X is the converted mana cost of the exiled card. Well, I exile, that's a linked ability. That's two cards right there. So the value of X in the activation cost of the Elite Arcanist's other ability is the sum of the two cards' mana values. And then as the ability resolves, you're going to create copies of both cards and can cast both, one, or neither, or neither. Just like Arcanist, <laughs> Arcanist. Neither, neither, you know, both, both, Boy, what whatever. An example. Yeah. All right. Jeez, and there's still more notes on here. <laughs> oh, my God. All right. Abilities, uh, let's see. Abilities that care about when a permanent is faced up will only trigger if the turned up creature card's power is two or less when it is turned up. Okay, seems seems fair there. Once an ability of a creature you control has triggered, reducing its power won't cause it to trigger a second time. A second time. This works in reverse as well. <laughs> if the ability has triggered a second time, increasing the power to three won't remove the extra trigger. You already got it. All right. 
That was worth Brian, the pr- that was worth what? the price of admission. It absolutely. Thank you was. for doing your due diligence <laughs> that on was, that card. That was actually surprisingly hard to kind of do that a little bit on the fly. Like the little the little <laughs> hamster was running on the wheel pretty hard there. I can see that. Right. Let's we'll take a break. Smoke coming out. Like I think I might set the smoke detectors off. All right. Oh. Go on. That's why I'm. That's why I'm a Judge Foundry level three. <laughs> All right. So. Next up in Murders at Standoff Manor, we have Due Diligence, which is two and a white for the enchantment aura that is an enchant creature. When Due Diligence enters the battlefield, target creature you control other than enchanted creature gets plus two, plus two, and gains vigilance until end of turn. Enchanted creature gets plus two, plus two, and has vigilance. All right. So I don't know how this could happen, but follow along with me and let's see if we can figure this out we're gonna do our due due diligence we're gonna do our due diligence here yep if due diligence's second ability triggers and then someone's due diligence becomes attached to the targeted creature you control when the trigger tries to resolve nothing will happen yeah, clear as mud. I got nothing on that. No, this is okay. So, so here's the, here's the thing, and and I'm gonna let Brian do the the higher level explanation. But I've noticed this with this set of release notes that I haven't seen it anywhere else. Um, every once in a while, they talk about something in in an abstract sense where if a player figures out a way to do this really weird thing, this happens. Uh, they're supplying the answer without giving a lot of. Um, reasoning behind how the player would actually break the game this way. So they're saying, like, when this enters, it's targeting a creature other than the enchanted creature. I don't... But then somehow it moves onto that creature, and now the target is the enchanted creature. Therefore, it won't do anything. So there's a few few reasons for that. And I I won't wax too poetic, because this episode's been going on a really long time. We're only in the Ds. Um, Okay, so first off, there's a lot more cards now. And they're doing a lot more weird stuff. Yes. All right. And Commander has b- become more popular. And realistically, in previous release of the notes, they kind of only had to worry about like standard modern legacy stuff like that. Now they got to worry about all the weird stuff that Commander folks do. Okay. The yep. other thing is, is and there was like a Rosewater podcast. They're they're just doing like weird stuff on on cards now that that the rules can support. So here's what here's what it is. It says when due diligence enters the battlefield, target creature you control other than enchanted creature. That's the clause. That's the target clause. It's mm-hmm. target creature you control other than enchanted creature. So if somehow with that trigger on the stack, you move the enchantment onto that creature that you targeted, right. it breaks the targeting because it is no longer a target creature you control other than enchanted creature. It is the enchanted creature. And there God, are so. there are abilities that can move enchantments at instant speed. Yes. Got it. Okay. Okay. So now I'm picking that up. For some reason, it just wasn't like clicking in my head as I read the card because it seemed like a very simple and straightforward card. What the hell is weird with that? So, right. right. Boy, what, what a convoluted... <laughs> line in the release notes but i mean weird things happen in commander and i mean it, it, it would it would take a demir to figure it out you know it, it's a good thing that we've got a trotta coming along here a trotta deadly fugitive for one a blue and a black is a one four legendary creature vampire assassin um a trotta has death touch like you do uh it has uh, two more things here it has face down creatures you control have 
the activated ability to a blue and a black colon turn this creature face up if you can't exile it then you may cast the exile card without paying its mana cost and it also has whenever an assassin you control deals damage combat damage to an opponent cloak the top card of that player's library so this is one of those cases where very early on when i was talking about cloak where you can actually be cloaking your opponent's library neat um a reason you would be unable to turn a creature face up is if it was cloaked is if the cloaked face downside was an instant or a sorcery or if a creature like Karloff watchdog is in play that prevents creatures from being turned face up in those cases the creature is exiled and you can choose whether or not to cast the card because there's no mention of it in the notes i just want to make sure of it um, but because it says cast my assumption is lands can't come back from exile that way yes um casting yeah right uh yep. casting a spell using the activated ability doesn't allow you to choose alternative casting costs you can pay additional costs though like kicker uh, if the card has a mandatory additional cost such as demand answers does then that must be paid if the spell being cast has X in the mana cost, X is zero. And your opponents can't look at... Hang What's on. What's that? This is, it says, turn this creature face up. If you can't, exile it. So if it's a, if it's a land, you, you could turn it face up. So you're really right. only exiling things that are like instants and sorceries it, and stuff like that. That makes sense. Yeah. Okay. Um, your opponents can't look at the cards that they own that were cloaked by you. So, um, you know, Etrata comes in, um, it does some damage. You cloak one of your opponent's cards. Um, while that card is cloaked, you can look at it, but your opponent who owns the card cannot. In multiplayer, if you leave the game, cards you cloaked by Etrata's ability will remain in exile. If the opponent leaves... Uh, cards that you cloaked um, leave the game okay so when you're playing multiplayer and and player x decides hey i'm done playing against you you've got a trot on board you're mean um, and you have two of their <laughs> cards cloaked uh, those cards just disappear they're gone because the player has exited the game um, if you in fact leave the game and you have a trotta and you have cards cloaked the cards that you have cloaked will remain cloaked in exile face down for the remainder of the game as it exists. Okay, cool. That's a Trotta. All right. So the next card is expose the culprit for one in a red. It's an instant that lets you choose one or both. Okay. Cause we're going to read and it's, it's yeah. Choosing one is pretty, pretty lame. Um, so you can either turn target face down creature face up. Remember, if it's, um, if it's, uh, uh, yeah, this, yeah. <laughs> you know the thing. Yeah, you know the thing. All right. The second thing is exile any number of face-up creatures you control with disguise in a face-down pile, shuffle that pile, and then cloak them. So the whole point, if this was just uh, turn any number of creatures with disguise you have face-down, the order is known. The whole point of this card is to mix the order up and lose them. That's why they got to be exiled. You shuffle that pile to mix it all up, and then you put them back down on cloak. Is just so that you you don't know. It's got it's got to go through that process just so you lose track of which one's which. It's literally three card three card Monty. 
I mean, yep. if you have three cards, if it's only two cards. Sure. All right. Well, then the next card in Murders at Pig Trough Manor is Flourishing Bloomkin. <laughs> this is a one and a green creature plant elemental that is base power and toughness zero zero. But then it says Flourishing Bloomkin gets plus one plus one for each forest you control. It has disguise for four and a green and the ability when Flourishing Bloomkin is turned face up, search your library for up to two forest cards and reveal them. Put one of them onto the battlefield tapped and the other into your hand, then shuffle. So for this one, not a lot to talk about. If you only find one forest that's put onto the battlefield tapped, you aren't allowed to move it to your hand first. We're not really sure what kind of shenanigans you're up to that you don't just want to put it straight onto the battlefield, but just don't try doing it. Play the forest like you're supposed to and move along. Whose turn is it? Is it my turn again? Wow, that I think was it quick. is. You, yeah, you, you got to hustle. Uh, we got we got a little hustle, a little bustle going on. Got to got to get yep. it done. Okay, so we have another uh, wonderful uh, split card. It is hustle and bustle. Uh, hustle is a hybrid. Is it cost? And it's an instant for target creature attacks or blocks this turn if able. Bustle is four and two gruel hybrid mana, and it's a sorcery. And it says, creatures you control get plus two, plus two, and gain trample until end of turn. Very gruel-like. You may turn a creature card you control face up. Uh, The only part of this that we're really interested in is the hustle side. Uh, If the creature targeted by hustle is tapped or can't otherwise attack or block because of a spell or ability, then it sits on the bench this turn. It won't be able to attack or block even if you target it with with hustle. Uh, If there's an additional cost for the targeted creature to attack or block, the opponent is not forced to pay the cost, and the card does not have to attack or block. I mean, they could go ahead and, you know, pay whatever required additional cost there is if they want to, but, you know, you simply casting Hustle and targeting their their card that they have to pay three to actually block um, doesn't mean that they actually have to pay three. Seems legit. Now, this is kind of funny because bustle can mean like to move bustle can mean to move in an energetic or noisy manner, or it can be like a padded undergarment with a wire frame that like ladies used in their dress. And I just find the idea of maybe like having the big floofy dress with the wire frame actually being the thing that gives you the plus two plus two and trample. I think it's (laughs) absolutely correct to do that. Right. Okay. that the math checks out. Math checks out. All right. And you would wear a bustle to a masquerade. An illicit masquerade. That's why you're you you were um uh turning a creature you control face up. That's that's why you would turn it face up. Never mind. I don't know where I'm going with that. So anyway, the illicit masquerade <laughs> is an enchantment for three and a black with flash. When illicit masquerade enters the battlefield, you put an imposter counter. An imposter counter on each creature you control. Okay. Whenever a creature you control with an imposter counter on it dies, exile it. Return up to one other target creature card from your graveyard to the battlefield. Okay. So a lot of people, I've seen a lot of questions online. People ask about how this interacts with tokens. Okay. For that last ability, tokens can still get the imposter counter. And whenever a creature you control with an imposter counter on it dies, exile it. Okay. Tokens are still going to go to the graveyard. They can still die. 
The thing is, they just go poof before you get an opportunity to exile them, okay, because of state-based actions. But the illicit masquerade ability doesn't say whenever a creature you control with imposter counter on it dies, exile it. If you do return up to one, no, it just says return up to one other target creature card from your graveyard to the battlefield. So the fact that the token goes poof is actually irrelevant. You're still going to get on another target creature card from your graveyard to the BF. Sick. There you go. That's pretty yeah. cool. Yeah, it's value that you don't have to feel guilty it. of about. Yeah. No guilt there, unless mm. you're in the path of a big old dragon like Game of Thrones. Incinerator of the Guilty is the next card up in Murders at Mark Quaff Manor. Uh, Incinerator of the Guilty is a big old dragon for four and red red. It's a creature dragon, 6-6 six, six with flying dragon. and trample. Big old flample dragon. Whenever Incinerator <laughs> of the Guilty deals combat damage to a player, you may collect evidence X. When you do, Incinerator of the Guilty deals X damage to each creature and each planeswalker that player controls. So, notably, really the only thing you need to know here is you can collect evidence of zero. That still counts as collecting evidence for any of the other cards in the set that have triggers that happen whenever you collect evidence. You just end up dealing zero damage. Pretty straightforward. Yep, sounds great. Uh, I am. Did you know that I'm a connoisseur of dragons? I, I really do. I mean, I'm a I'm a goblin guy at heart, but I I love a good beefy you know flampling dragon, and I'm excited to to play that one. Um, I'm also excited to talk about Judith Carnage Connoisseur uh, for three a black and a red. She is a three four legendary creature human shaman. And she has the abilities, whenever you cast an instant or sorcery spell, choose one. And your options are that spell gains death touch and lifelink. Or create a 2-2 red imp creature token with when this creature dies, it deals two damage to each opponent. <laughs> Judith's up to her old tricks. So Judith's ability <laughs> will resolve before the instant or sorcery. Um, so when that spell gains death touch or lifelink, it must actually be the spell that do does the damage. If the spell causes another object to deal damage, and I'll, I'll give the example in a second, uh, it isn't, it, it doesn't actually do anything. So hard hitting question is the example that they want to use here. And that's a sorcery that has target creature you control deals damage equal to its power, to target creature or planeswalker you don't control. So in this case, hard-hitting question is a sorcery that you could target, absolutely, and give death touch and lifelink, but you're giving death touch and lifelink to a spell that isn't actually doing damage. It's the creature that would be doing the damage uh, under the guise of, under the direction of hard-hitting question. So, neat. All right. Uh, the next card is Kellen Inquisitive Prodigy. Um I'm not actually going to describe the card. I just want to point out that I'm sick of Kellen. Um, screw you, Kellen. I'm tired of you. That's it. That's, <laughs> that's it. That's my turn. You're, is that, you is know that what? the you, first card in a release notes episode put in simply for spite? Yeah, I hate Kellen. Wow. Just quit, I actually really liked his character in the story. I quit. I, I, I resent the fact that they're trying really hard to make me care about Kellen. Interestingly I enough, I and, and, and and Brian's wrath aside, um, this is a card with the adventure mechanic on it. 
So it's kind of this weird holdover from Wilds of Eldraine. Um, so neat. Um, they have continued their process of bringing in one-off mechanics into a set because it helps them tell the story. Even if yeah. Brian doesn't care about the story. You know, you know what would also help tell the story? Is not have Kellen always just kind of hanging around. Like Kellen is Kellen is every magic story's perpetual side piece is what well, the Kellen problem, is. The, the problem <laughs> is the problem is, and let's all be honest, he's no Jace. Yeah. There we go. Moving on. Yeah. Well, let's not be such a buzz crusher here and let's move on to our next card in Murders at Hayloft Manor. Krenko's Buzz Crusher. For two red red, it's an artifact creature, insect thopter. Uh, it's a 4-4 four, four with everybody's favorite mechanic, Flample, Flying and Trample. When Krenko's Buzz Crusher enters the battlefield, for each player, destroy up to one non-basic land that player controls. For each land destroyed this way, its controller may search their library for a basic land card, put it onto the battlefield tapped, then shuffle. Most notably, as a lot of people have been getting very excited about on social media, this ability does not target the land that it destroys it can get rid of non-basics with hexproof or shroud what? i can't think of any lands that that would be relevant to lotus field lotus field cough cough lotus field lotus field um yeah that that's that's it it does not have a target you choose upon resolution of this ability which non-basic lands to destroy get them all right Blown out. What a massacre. That's you, Charles. That's your cue. Oh, wait. Kel- Kel- your rant about Kellen actually counted. Oh, uh, yeah. Oh, okay. Oh. Keep going in, in turn order. Yeah. Terrible. Terrible. Next time, I'm going to include a card just to rant about it. Hold on now. You should have said something. It'll be a Murphy. Marcos was going on Krinko <laughs> if you were thinking, like, hold on now. The order's all screwed up. <laughs> Okay, massacre. This girl, isn't. Known this isn't. Killers. This isn't like after the court case is over, you can like submit some sort of complaint that you should have brought up earlier. It's all right. We're moving on. Moving on. Uh, massacre girl, known killer for two and two black, um, is a legendary creature, human assassin. That's a four four. Has menace. Has creatures you control have wither. Oh wow, that's neat. Um, that's whenever a creature cool. an opponent controls dies. It's t- if its toughness was less than one, you draw a card. Oh, <laughs> that's really neat. Um, yeah. wither, wither applies to any damage from creatures you control. It doesn't have to be combat damage. Yeah. And a creature with Wither and Lifelink will still gain you life. Wow. For the last ability, you use the creature's last known information on the battlefield to determine if it triggers Massacre Girl's ability. Because it'll actually be gone, so how will you know what the toughness was? Well, you just look back in time. Right. To turn, turn the clock back just a little bit. Um, if you have an analog clock, that's easy. If you have a digital clock, you have to go forward, then backwards. Um, but um, <laughs> it, it'll work. Uh, trust me. That, then that last trigger is going to trigger whether or not... Uh, <laughs> The creature, the, the creature died because it had the minus one minus one counters on it. Sorry, Pretty sick. Yep. All brilliant, right. brilliant. All right. Out cold for three and a blue is an instant that says this spell can't be countered. That's it. That's all the card says. 
It just says, <laughs> this spell can't be countered. Um, no. Okay. It actually says, tap up to two target creatures and put a stun counter on each of them. Investigate. All right. So first off, having all of the targets removed or given hexproof or something like that will just have out cold fail to resolve. Okay, it's put in the it's put in the graveyard. It's not countered. Fizzling is not countering. So when it says the spell can't be countered, meh. Okay, if you choose, it says tap up to two target creatures. So you can choose not to do any target creatures and just investigate. But then it's four mana to investigate. Kind of expensive. Okay, um, now here's the thing. This spell can't be countered. That includes like ward abilities. So... You can just plow through someone's ward ability or a disguised cloaked whatever and just tap them down and they get the they get the little stunny stun counters. Thankfully, I, th- I think most of the cards that have the spell can't be countered in the set also have that reminder text that it, c- it includes ward ability because it can be a little confusing to newer players. All right. Oh, it's my boy. Your boy. Yep. I love our big turtle boy here. Crocodile Elk Turtle, thank you very much. Yes, Crocodile... I love the Simic. They come up with the most ridiculous creature type lines ever, and it's some of my favorite. Although I don't think it beats Molgod, but it's very uh, close. Oh, no. Although we're in Florida, I'm pretty sure the Crocodile Elk Turtle Lodge is just a few a few miles down the road towards Bithlow. I, w- I would not be surprised to walk into any home in Florida and see that mounted on the wall. Right? Actually, I think I saw one of these in the lake behind my house. I don't know. You, you, you think, you th- <laughs> you'd like to think that, but no, it's Chuck Tesla. Testa. All right, next up, as I'm sure you can all tell uh, in our cards of Murder at Lacrosse Manor here, we have the Pride <laughs> of Hulkclade. It is a whopping 10 generic mana and a single green for a legendary creature, Crocodile Elk Turtle. You better believe that creature is legendary. Uh, for a 215, this spell costs X less to cast, where X is the total toughness of creatures you control. It has Defender. And it has the ability for two generic, a blue and a blue, colon, until end of turn, target creature you control gets plus one, plus zero, gains whenever this creature deals combat damage to a player, draw cards equal to its toughness, end quote, and can attack as though it didn't have defender. Hoo boy, what a big boy. So let's clarify some stuff about casting spells here. The first thing you do when you're casting a spell is to move that card from your hand onto the stack. Now, if this causes the toughness of creatures on your battlefield to change, maybe because they're counting the number of cards in your hand as part of an a, a characteristic-defining ability, then the new toughness will be used to determine what your cost reduction is. So first step of casting a spell, put the spell onto the stack from wherever it is, in most cases your hand, that can still change other things. But then, once you determine the cost to cast this, you may then activate any mana abilities to pay that cost. I've seen a lot of people talking about casting uh, a wall of roots and something else to be able to cast this with the minus zero minus one counter, or the zero minus one counter. 
you can activate mana abilities after determining what the cost reduction is going to be. So you have your five toughness, wall of roots on the battlefield, you've determined that it's going to discount it by five, and then you can activate the mana ability, reducing the co- the overall toughness of your creature, but your cost is already locked in at this point. So you remember, put it on the stack, go through the steps until you determine the cost by adding, subtracting, applying Trinosphere, whatever, and then you lock in that cost and then you can activate mana abilities to pay for said cost. Beyond that, the mana value of this card will stay the same no matter what the cost reduction is to cast it. If you live the dream and reduce it by 10, and you're only paying a single green to cast it, well, the mana value is still 11. Uh, The cost reduction only applies to the generic mana cost, not the green mana cost in its mana value, or its mana cost. Once you announce that you're casting a spell, No player may take any actions until the spell has been paid for. Therefore, your creature's toughnesses should stay the same or at least not get reduced by your opponents in an attempt to thwart your casting of the almighty crocodile elk turtle. The almighty. Uh, The almighty. Crocodile elk turtle. If the target of the last ability deals combat damage to a player but leaves the battlefield before the triggered ability resolves... You're going to use last known information to determine how many cards to draw. I'm seeing so many scenarios online where people are living the dream of drawing 15 cards on like turn three. It's amazing. There's a there's a lot of chatter about this card. I'm 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 kind of I I want to go back and and figure out what everybody's talking about with it because it it just seems like such a fascinating little card piece of design space. Yeah. It's I have an Arcades Sabbath or Arcades the Strategist EDH deck and this guy's got me going like makes me so happy because I can get this out on like turn three easily easily and then drop Arcades on turn four and then swing with this guy I don't even need to activate his ability just fifteen coming at you blam. You're going to plow through your opponents so quickly, they're going to have to like reenact the whole crime scene to figure out what the hell just happened. Yes. We're going to have... Jeez. Okay. Thank you, Marcus. Um, so we should reenact the crime <laughs> My scene. My pleasure. And, and, and we'll do so for one and a blue and a blue and a blue. Yes, it's one of those cards. Uh, it's an instant... <laughs> And it states, exile target, non-land card in a graveyard that was put there from anywhere this turn. Copy it. You may cast the copy without paying its mana cost. You cast the copy while resolving reenact the crime, meaning you can't wait until later to cast it as it resolves. You do the thing. It says you do. Okay, so it's, it's, it's being cast as a part of the resolution of the spell. If a spell has X in its mana cost, you must choose zero when casting it without paying its mana cost. If you cast a spell that says without, if you cast a spell without paying its mana cost, you can't choose to cast it for any alternative costs. The without paying is the alternative cost you've chosen. You can pay additional costs like kicker or sacrificing a creature. Um, If there are any mandatory additional costs, those still have to be paid, of course. If you don't want to cast the copy, you can choose not to. Uh, the copy will go, and this is the technical term in our notes, poof, the next time SBAs or state-based actions are checked. 
it only survives because it then it gets cast before SBAs interact with it while resolving the spell. Cool. Reenact that crime. Yeah. All right. So next up, we have the sharp-eyed rookie. Uh, every good cop movie needs a smug rookie finding uh, finding things that they missed. So this is a one and a green for a 2-2 human detective with vigilance. It says, whenever a creature enters the battlefield under your control, if its power is greater than sharp-eyed rookie's power or its toughness is greater than Sharp-Eyed Rookie's toughness, put a plus one, plus one counter on Sharp-Eyed Rookie and investigate. Okay. So, when a creature enters the battlefield under your control, you're going to check its power and its toughness against our Rookie here. If neither are greater, the trigger doesn't go on the stack. This is an intervening if clause, and the intervening if clause is... If its power is greater than Sharp-Eyed Rookie's power or its toughness is greater than Sharp-Eyed Rookie's toughness. Okay, that's all one intervening if clause. So not only do we check when the creature enters the battlefield, we also check again on resolution. Okay, if a creature enters the battlefield with counters, because it's an as effect, replacement effect, as opposed to a triggered ability, we're going to count those counters when checking the, the power and toughness for the purpose of entering the battlefield. Okay, if multiple creatures enter the battlefield at the same time, it's very possible that our rookie is going to trigger multiple times. But as we work through the resolution of those triggers, that the intervening if clause, when it's checking, we're not going to... Like, it was true when the trigger went on the stack, but then Sharp-Eyed Rookie gets its plus one, plus one counter and investigates. And every time it gets that plus one, plus one counter, it's pushing its power and toughness a little bit higher, a little bit higher, a little bit higher. It might be outside the range by the time we get to the third or fourth or fifth creature. So maybe plan that out when you're figuring out how to stack triggers. K? Yeah, if you don't, I, I I would consider that a slime against humanity. I don't know about you, but... Yes. It is a slime against humanity. <laughs> I, uh, I I both love and loathe we've, these like punny card names, but it's so good. We've reached the the duration in the episode where, first off, you'll notice we went from like F to S really fast, and mm-hmm. second, we're just not even trying on these segues anymore. <laughs> we, no, nope. we're nope. T- we're tired. Yes, we're getting the sleepies. However, we must trudge on through murders at trade off manner. And read Slime Against Humanity. This is two and a green for a sorcery that says, Create a zero zero green ooze creature token with Trample. Put X plus one plus one counters on it, where X is two plus the total number of cards you own in exile and in your graveyard that are oozes or are named Slime Against Humanity. And one of my favorite clauses ever a deck can have any number of cards named Slime Against Humanity. So, a couple things here. Slime Against Humanity doesn't go to the graveyard until it's done resolving, so it does not count itself. From there, if you have face-down cards in exile for some reason, and those cards are Slime Against Humanity, you cannot count them. Even if you can look at them and you know, oh no, in this face-down pile, I have like two Slime Against Humanities in here. Well, nothing you can do about that. Face-down cards in Exile are not defined as Slime Against Humanity or anything else. And the multiple rule or is applicable anywhere, including Commander, uh, I guess, 
tiny leaders any anything <laughs> that can have this card in it pack wars uh, between pack wars no, anything that has a deck building restriction where you can only run x amount of cards in it this deck building uh restriction clause here says no nah, i don't care i'm gonna run as many of this as i want and try and stop me i'm gonna have to monitor that you know you get you, you gotta have some limits somewhere i'm I'm gonna have to surveil and make sure that <sighs> yeah i'm tired yeah okay so no, that was good i like that one you know, that was all right surveillance so, yeah. monitor well, well hold uh, on i sorry i do actually have one one question one thing yeah, yeah, with with slime against humanity. If I can have any number of slime against humanity, uh, can I have two hundred in my commander deck? Can I go over a hundred cards? Ooh, no, because no. your deck still has to be legal for the overall minimums and maximums. Well, then I any? guess I can't play any number. Then can I? I now? guess not. You're right. I'm a filthy liar. As is this card. It's lying to you. It sees you, and it's purposefully lying to you. See Brian's monitoring the uh, Brian's monitoring the situation. He knows what's up. Yeah, he knows what's up. He's on it. He's on it. He's been surveilling us. He's got it. So surveillance monitor for three and a blue is a three three Vidalkin detective, and it has two abilities. They're triggers. The first one is when surveillance monitor enters the battlefield, you may collect evidence for. And it also has, whenever you collect evidence, create a 1-1 colors Thopter artifact creature token with flying. So the only thing that really needs to be pointed out here, aside from the very Blade Runner-esque enhance thing going on in the art, um, <laughs> is, right? I'm not wrong. Yeah. Like, enhance, enhance, never mind. Um, the, the, the thing that's happening here is, is that these two abilities aren't linked. Sure, um, when it first enters the battlefield and you collect evidence, you get that trigger. But anytime you collect evidence, that surveillance monitor is on the battlefield, you get that second trigger. So you get the the one one uh, colorless thopter artifact creature token with flying. So while it's on the battlefield, it's doing work. That's it. That's all I got. Ever vigilant. Okay. All right. This next one, I actually kind of like these cards. This is the tenth district hero. Uh, for one and a white, it is a two-three human in a fedora. That's where the that's where the plus one for <laughs> toughness comes in. Is that fedora and oh, a tr- yeah. and like a trench coat wearing like plate mail underneath? This is such a terrible D and D character art. Okay, <laughs> so for one and a white, and collect evidence two. Tenth district hero becomes a human detective. With base power and toughness 4-4 and gains vigilance. Okay, so it goes from being a human to a human detective. and goes from 2-3 to a 4-4 and it gains vigilance. Cool. For 2 and a white, collect evidence 4. If 10th district hero is a detective, it becomes a legendary creature named Maliva the Stalwart. And has base power and toughness 5-5 and it gains other creatures you control have indestructible. Okay. One thing to note, it still has it still has vigilance from his previous action when you activate it the second time. Or the second ability. Okay. These abilities, they don't have a duration. They don't go away at the end of the turn or anything like that. And this is kind of an interesting instance of continuous effects being applied. Okay. Because 
like we have an ability that's trying to set its power and toughness to four four, and then we have another ability that's trying to set its power and toughness to 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 five five. Like the first ability still holds. That's why it still keeps vigilance. It's not the second activation just wins and overwrites everything. You still apply it. We still have something that says, hey, I'm trying to make this a human detective, and hey, I'm trying to give this a name, and hey, I'm trying to make it a 4-4, and hey, I'm trying to make it a 5-5. All right. Now, while this doesn't make strategic sense, you can just activate the second ability straight off. Okay. It says if 10th district, <laughs> it, it only says if 10th district hero is a detective, do stuff. So if you, if it's just a human and you want to just activate that second ability to collect evidence for, sure, it's not going to do anything. Okay. Unless you've made it a detective some other way. Okay. You don't have to make it a detective via the first ability. You can make it a detective another way. It just cares about it being a detective. Now, here's the next thing. You can, and again, this doesn't make a whole lot of strategic sense, you can activate the first ability again after you've activated the second ability. Okay, so you activated <laughs> the first ability, made it a 4-4 human detective, gained it vigilance, then turned it into Melvira the Stalwart, that's a 5-5, and other creatures you control have indestructible and vigilance, and then you activate the first ability again. Well, uh, it, it was already a human detective, so it's going to stay a human detective. Oof. Its power and toughness is going to go to a 4-4, four, four, because we've just said it. And it's going to gain vigilance again. So it has double vigilance, and it's still going to have other creatures you control have indestructible. And it's still going to name Maliva the Stalwart. And it's still going to be legendary. Clear as mud? Yeah, it is. I love that you, you put that together, because like, I know all that to be true. But when I look at this card, I never think of that because I, I just immediately ask myself, why would you ever do that? Well, yeah, why would you? It's dumb. It makes no sense. But again, if you want to know like proper strategies on how to use cards, go listen to another podcast or a YouTube video or watch somebody actually play. If you want to know like really fiddly bits about the rules, you know, give us a listen or not. I'm not your mom. <laughs> All right, let's move very long because we are very much near the end. We've yeah, almost yeah. gotten there. Yeah, I'm going to move a little bit more urgently, urgently to the urgent necropsy. Necropsy? Necropsy? I don't know. It's one of the last cards in Murders of Kaepernick Manor. And this is an instant for two, a black and a green. As an additional cost to cast the spell, collect evidence X, where X is the total mana value of the, of the permanence this spell targets. Huh? Well, next ability, destroy up to one target artifact, up to one target creature, up to one target enchantment, and up to one target planeswalker. Okay, in this instance, X is determined and locked in based on the number of permanents that you target, but before you pay costs. So, uh, apparently in the release notes, it references a case where the mana value of one or more of the targets can change while you're paying the cost. I have no idea. I've lost track of all of them. But if it does happen, the cost to cast Urgent Necropsy, including the additional cost, remains what you have previously determined the cost to be. Clear as mud? Yeah, this one. This one's kind of weird because a lot of times it has... Uh... Like, collect evidence has been kind of, you can, in order to collect evidence six, you can 
collect evidence like 12 or 13, you know, you can collect evidence more to get the number that you need. Right here, it's collect evidence X, where X is the total mana value of the permit. Now, I guess you could still go over. No. Yeah, absolutely. So this means you can you can target a a soul ring. You can target a a Zen, not Xenagos, a, a, a Elspeth, whatever variation you like. Like you can do all that, and as long as collect evidence X is the highest mana value of all of those, um, or it's the total mana value of the permanents. This so you're adding them all together, but it just means it's covering everything below it. Right, but you no. can go over that. You can go below that. Or no, I think you. Can, I think you can go over because higher. because collect evidence yeah. six doesn't mean I have to only exile six. I can exile eight. Correct. Okay. Yep. And here, if the total mana value is like eight, then yep. you can collect, collect evidence, evidence eight 12. or more. Eight or more. Yep. Yeah. I'm old. I'm confused. I'm I'm going to roar into the night and and yell Yoris. Okay. <laughs> I thought um, you were going for the Yawn Yaris mix. I don't know. We, I don't we, know. We're trying, listeners. We really we're, are. So we have Yoris Roar of the Old Gods. Um, I think Roar is <laughs> a title, truly. not a, not a, not a, not a action. But who knows? What do I know? I'm I'm not Gruel. <laughs> uh, well, I am Gruel, but I'm not Gruel enough. Um, it is uh, casting cost a two, a red, and a green for a four four centaur druid. It states, other creatures you control have haste. Whenever one or more face-down creatures you control deal combat damage to a player, draw a card. Whenever a face-down creature you control dies, return it to the battlefield face-down under its owner's control. If it's a permanent card, then turn it face-up. Interesting. Um, This is the last card of the Barbie Dreamhouse Manor set review. And uh, we want to talk about a couple of notes here. <laughs> uh, this this card triggers when combat damage is dealt to a player, meaning that if multiple players are dealt combat damage, Yaris will trigger once per player, unless we have double strike or start mixing and matching first strike critters with regular strike. Um, yeah. So so that's neat. Um, if Yoris dies at the same time as other face down creatures, the last trigger will still trigger for them. Uh, because it sees everything happening before it actually leaves the battlefield. And then the triggers go on the stack. If a face-down creature goes to the graveyard, then changes zones before the trigger resolves, you don't get it back. So earlier when we were talking about the card that goes to the graveyard, then goes to exile, uh, I'm sorry, it's gone forever. When the face-down creature is returned to the battlefield, if it has an enter the battlefield trigger when it's face up, that trigger won't happen. So that's Yoris. That's the last card. We are all done. We did it. Woot woot. Yay. So generally we talk about final thoughts about a set. You know, we we, we, we do a little little pitter patter at the end. Not this let's is... get at her, but we do a little pitter patter. But it's been a really long one. Yeah. This I'm is, not this sure is that I'm murders really have... at kitchen sink manner. Yeah, I really I really don't I really don't know. Yeah, I just hope that this was informative and that the little clues and, and hints we dropped as we were going through were at least entertaining for you all and helped you endure the three hours of this episode. Right. Well, when it's edited down, it'll be two hours and 48 minutes. But, no, it'll be 2.10. Two, um, two, yeah. two, two, it'll be like 2.20. Two, two, 
It'll be two ten. Yeah. These Challenge these sets accepted. are these sets are hard for us. But then I think about how you know um, limited resources does set reviews and how there are these four and and five yeah. hour slogs that are the thing. that that that's what they release. They get paid for it. Oh well, okay. We can we get paid for it? Um, no. We'll talk. We'll talk. <laughs> We'll talk. <laughs> um, oh, uh, I actually do want to mention one thing before we wrap up. Um, so a little while back in our Lost Caverns of Ixalan release notes episode, uh, I made an error that was caught out by one of our listeners, uh, Jason Chance, who wrote an email to us. Uh, apologies for taking so long to address it on the podcast, Jason, but I did get around to it. So uh, I was talking about everyone's favorite card, Kite Sail L Arsonist, otherwise known as Kite Sail Larsonist. And I made or I made a, a statement talking about how basically I implied that if any of the permanents that were turned into treasures were legendary, that you might have to apply the legend rule and, and get rid of them. Uh, that was objectively wrong because they do still keep their name. So even if it's a treasure and it's and all of your artifacts are legendary for some reason it's still named the card name and is not named treasure therefore uh that was totally wrong my bad uh when we go and i bring this up now because i've been meaning to bring it up for a little while and it just kept slipping my mind but also pointing out that these release notes episodes can get pretty long and sometimes we're thinking about making a joke or setting up the next ridiculous segue and we will occasionally make an error so uh, apologies for that mix up i hope it didn't affect anything for anybody out there and thank you jason for pointing that out to us awesome even we get things wrong sometimes it does happen yep yeah no i just have marcos edit it out before it goes up <laughs> so nope never wrong no brian's never wrong i yeah. just don't care no. enough <laughs> That's why Brian pays me under the table. I had a little extra hush money for the editing. And, and I have Brian edit my, my show notes that I write before anybody reads them. So hopefully they're not too tragic. Mm -hmm. um, and with that, <laughs> I think I think we're there. I think we've reached the end of it. Um, so that's our episode. Join us next time when we potentially talk about confidence. I know we've been promising it for a little while. Um, sooner or later, we do have to build up enough confidence to talk about the topic Y'all y'all need you know, to stop we'll, cheating on Twitter we'll, is what needs well, to happen. That that needs to happen and we also <laughs> need seriously. to stop. Um it's entirely possible that by the time we next meet that there will be a different topic that we have to address in the time frame, but we do want to talk about it and I'm assure you that it's coming soon. Uh until then, you can send us an email at judgecast at gmail.com or like us on Facebook or follow us on Twitter at judgecast and on blue sky at judgecast.bsky.social. And check out any of our social media for invite links to our Discord server for judges new and old, fans, and anyone who supports the judging community. I'm Charles Feather, and I keep it fair. I'm Marcos Sanchez, and I keep it fun. And I'm Brian Prillman, and I'm not your mom. <laughs> <laughs>